Today, we are joined by special guest Jacob Sanderson at a perfect time in the NFL calendar. After nearly a month with nothing to talk about, we have DeAndre Hopkins on the move to the Titans. We'll break down the fantasy impact and much more today on ADP Chasing. Let's go. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> This is what? This is what I'm hot. Anita Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you Tony? You can't handle the heat. He looks like we're finally this boy here, right? What's up, everybody? Jacob, uh, welcome to the show. We were just talking about it before we started, but perfect timing to have you on with uh, Hopkins on the move. But yeah, thanks for joining us. How, how was your weekend? Yeah, thanks, DeAndre. Appreciate that. If Dalvin wanted to slide in the next five to ten minutes, that would be even better. Um, but yeah, it's been a good weekend. Uh, it's been fun. We've been drafting a lot. The March to 150 continues. Only one, only stuff. 150, brother. Are you not, are you well, not maxing draftings too? Yeah, that's that's for late August. That's for late August. That's my. You're not going to get it done in late August. There's a lot over there. You gotta trust me. <laughs> someone who's who's trying to get DraftKings actions down, it's you gotta you gotta sprinkle it let in. Let me let me tell. Well, my you. problem is is I, I I write the bar exam in 11 days, so that's that's uh that's limiting my my drafting time a little bit, and then uh, then I'm gonna draft a shitload for about eight days, and then I go to Ireland. So that's when I have to do the Davis Matic load up mm. sixty slow drafts before going to mm. Europe special, um, and then then we'll come back and mash whatever we can in August. You I know, don't know if I would do DraftKings slows in Ireland. You want to enjoy your your time abroad. <laughs> the the, the eight-hour clock at all times is rough. I used to make fun of Pete for doing the slows, but the only way I would have gotten all the teams I wanted to get drafted in this year with my sanity was to embrace the slow draft. So what I'm doing right now is I just enter one DraftKings slow every day, um, and that's going to get me to like a pretty healthy number where I'm not, you know, uh, it's August, it's August 3rd, and I'm looking at DraftKings, and I'm like, I've drafted 20 teams. I have to get 130 teams drafted. Like, so the, the slow drafts, they are your friend, more more than not. I did, I did max an area the slow draft poodle three. Um, so I've been, I've been warming up to the slow draft idea a little bit, but I, I still hate them. And I'm still at the yeah. fun stage where it's like, I haven't left the wide receiver window in those drafts, so I'm still like making material choices. Like all of them are in like round six to eight. But once we get into round fifteen, and it's like, so you're doing the star or Ford? Like, yeah, I've been doing the correlations. I've been stuck. Yeah, it's the only way. I, I'm it's actually the only the way too slow. And I, but I tell you what, even even doing the star trick, like I haven't done the puppy slows yet. The puppy three, it's just, it just took it took a little out of me. I gotta so, say, <laughs> my problem is like I know like uh, normal, well-adjusted people can say like, okay, I'll check my slow drafts every like six or seven hours like you don't no, have to check he it does every that. hour he schedules but it out he's got I, some i can't some email I, messages yeah, my brain my brain does not work like that like i mm-hmm. if i'm on the clock in a bunch of drafts like i'm gonna be checking things like overthinking every pick for like way too long it's just okay, mentally well, I, I don't I, do that i'm good i have the opposite issue i have the opposite issue i i just occasionally will like like i do try to space it out but like even this round, like it was like I had recorded a podcast really late. It was my dynasty one with Drew, and then I was like, I made a mental note to like check them before I go to bed. 
and I didn't. And I woke up to two autos, and they were like the stone worst autos. One of them was Najiaris, which is always tough. You love Najiaris. That was an auto for you. Was he? Yeah. That's because he was in the queue for you. <laughs> <laughs> he was. Uh, he he is this. Like, I mean, when you do the thing where you just like enter 50 at the same time, you just end up with the same room um, every single time. And I've ended yeah, up in a right. room of, of Najee haters. And like this entire Poodle 3 experience has been staring at Najee at like the four or five turn um, and just being tempted. I, I was tempted once. The 504, I think, was where I was like, come on. I'd take him at the 504, yeah. I, I just <laughs> yeah. drafted four, I just drafted 43 versions of the same team in the Pomeranian. <laughs> like I think, I think someone who's <laughs> in them with me went and looked and said that of the 14 rooms we're in together with, I drafted Geno Smith double stacks in 10 of them. So it's just that Silva impression that's making the rounds like has actually made me feel yeah. better about how much I'm drafting the Seahawks because I'm like, hey, at least Silva's in. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's perfect. no, it's uh, not actually Silva. It is the only nice thing about the slows for me is it's like it's a good chance where if there's just certain players that I feel like I haven't been taking enough, where I can just make a mental note to be like, okay, like no matter what, I'm taking this player in 70% of these drafts. Like Dobbins yep. has been a guy that I've like written about. I've had this big stand on him and I looked at my exposure and it's like kind of a weenie little 16%. I'm like, no, like that's not a stand. Like, let's get this up. Let's get these numbers up. So I just made a note. It's like every time he's available past five, six in these slows, like I'm just clicking every time and I'm going to have like 65% and then we, we get out where we want to be and I'm doing that with a few guys in this. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I just take Chuba Hubbard every time. Every yeah, draft. That, I've been that a little I bit... can do in fast drafts or slow drafts. I've cooled on Chuba recently. I had, and I was hammering him early, so I still am probably about twenty percent. Are we about to get a, a Liam, uh, a chess Liam? Raheem Blackshear was a was a Buffalo Bills practice squad player, and we got to be afraid of him. Type type beat. I'm getting a new coaching staff. We don't know who they're into, and I I liked that Hubbard was so clearly the number two in my mind, and now I'm yeah. like, is it actually an ambiguous? You know, is he kind of a yeah, really I think it. I think it is ambiguous, and, a, and I think Miles Sanders is the one who should. Well, be. I'm not drafting Sanders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not drafting Sanders. I've never been drafting Sanders, and I certainly am not now. I mean, who else would the two be? Blackshear. Blackshear. Well, Blackshear, but the, the but issue not, is not like, that he's not really a running back. Like he's kind of just like a hybridy. The issue is that he ends up doing like a Heinz thing, and then you're like, this "Yeah, he could be the compliment to Sanders early down." I, mean, I think is that's the idea. fine if Blackshear's the compliment. Like that's kind of bad for Chuba, but I mean the biggest the biggest case for Chuba is like as long as he's still the guy. If Sanders goes out, getting I th- I, carries, he is, and he's fine he where he's going. Is. Yeah, that's yeah, true. That's it just fair. makes him. There's like some other guys in that range where. What if the you know. What if the Panthers are the Zeke team? What if they're. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that was the one thing that is interesting about them is like, I I mean, they didn't take a single running back the draft, which stunned me. I I guess like everybody else is taking that. I think everybody is right that they think Miles Sanders is a three down back. It's just that they're incorrect about that. Like I think that they do plan on making Miles Sanders a three down back. It's just that by week five, they'll be like, oh, I was. But also like three down back doesn't really like these teams don't mean what we want them to mean. Like when we hear stuff like that, we're like, Oh my God, it's going to have like 75% snap share. He's going to be like, he's going to be no, like, it just means, it just means he'll be deployed that way. Like situationally, but like maybe they'll rotate drives or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. All right, now that we got the Raheem Blackshear talk out of the way, we should probably, <laughs> yeah. we should probably get to DeAndre Hopkins yeah. and Alvin De- Kamara. 
let's let's talk to Hop- to Hopkins first. Um, yeah, people in the chat are already making fun of us for doing uh, a four hour show today. So uh, let's Rock, let's get in eight minutes in. That's that is concerning. That yeah, they it's, it's that concerning long. that Hopkins <laughs> first mention was eight minutes in. I wanted to start just like laying out Hopkins a little bit before we we get into the takes here. Um, I have seen a lot of stuff in the timeline about oh how Hopkins is is washed and old and bad and whatever, and want to slightly push back against that. So his stats last year um, in, in limited games was a wide receiver 10 in PPR points per game. His per route efficiency was still solid two yards per out run, 26% targets per out run, both sort of top 20, top 10 numbers there. And then the charting stuff also likes Hopkins um, reception perception had him as 3% success rate over expected. That's a 68th percentile 63 in ESPN open score 64th percentile. So Good, not not great, but still, you know, not massive signs of dropping off there. Um, I, I do think the big concern, obviously, is the Titans' offensive environment. Um, they were the last three years, in in terms of passes attempts, they were thirtieth, twenty sixth, and thirtieth in the NFL in pass attempts per game. Now that said, they still did have a pretty good offensive scoring season back in twenty twenty. They were fourth in the NFL in scoring, so. I think the play with Hopkins has to be, you know, low pass attempts in Tennessee, but very efficient like they were back in 2020 and even to some extent in 2021. But um, yeah, that's just laying, laying the groundwork. I, I'm not sure where I stand. Jacob, let's let's start with you. I saw you tweeted about how Hopkins yeah. dropped a ton in your rankings. I'm curious what you think of this ADP of 45 at wide receiver, wide receiver 25 overall right now in underdog. So he did drop a little less in my rankings than I initially vibed once I actually went and reprojected the Titans. Um, Cause I projected a lot more Tannehill games than I initially did. And everybody's efficiency came up. My, my main stance with Hopkins was I was willing to be a big Hopkins bull when I liked basically every possible landing spot, except for the Titans, like his only other spots. Like I was really, really optimistic about the Patriots landing spot. I thought that was, like a stealthily awesome spot for him where he could just come in and dominate volume with a pocket passing quarterback, potentially be league average pass volume here. It's just such a tough spot where I don't really see that ceiling projection. Like I came in and I have him at 13.73 um, PPR points per game. I'm in the Titans with a 26% target share. Um, I think my issue now is previously I was like, he has all of these sort of fragility concerns and floor risks but I also think he's one of the only guys at wide receiver at his range that kind of you can make a pretty easy case for this guy could be a mid-level wide receiver one just based off he had a 30 percent target share last year now it's kind of flipped where it's like I think his ceiling is probably closer to the fringy wide receiver one range where he's probably not that big league winner and now I'm just more concerned about the floor where it's like now he's a much higher risk to me of like a totally dead roster spot than some of these other guys with his age risk, changing teams, hasn't played double digit games in a couple of years where I'm, I'm, I don't think I've shifted the median as much as I've shifted my ranking, but I'm just a lot less interested in taking on that fragility when I don't see him as a really high ceiling play. So to me it kind of fits in with like the Godwin, Deontay, Hollywood, Pittman group of like, guys who project for high target shares in pretty adverse conditions. Yeah. And I I would add that I do think last year's numbers may paint a rosier picture than like 
if you just think about DeAndre Hopkins and then look at these numbers and say he's still DeAndre Hopkins because there was sort of this transition period with him um, back in like his true prime. He was more of a deep threat and yeah. he would have eight odds of, you know, 14, 12, you know, 13. He was he was challenging downfield in three three years ago in 2020. His ADOT dropped to nine and he's still highly efficient there. He had two point two five yards per outrun. Then in 2021, he was used again more like a downfield player with an 8 out of 13.1. And that was the season that made us all concerned about him. He, his yards per outrun dropped significantly to 1.76. He didn't really stand out from like the Christian Kirk, uh, who was also kind of operating a bit downfield that year. That's, uh, that's you know, Cliff Kingsbury stuff. But he last year went back to more of like an intermediate guy, 10.7 ADOT, and the efficiency came back up. So I think Hopkins can still do the target domination thing pretty well. But the thing that we're, we should probably be skeptical of now, especially given his age, is that he's going to be able to be this like big downfield difference maker. And in that sense, the Titans really is a bad landing spot for him because we're, volume is the thing we're worried about. And I agree with Jacob on the Patriots, like, I think Juju would have been like screwed. I, I think, you know, Hopkins would have just been the target earner and soaked up a ton of volume, had a huge target share. He may still have a really big target share here, but it's going to be as part of a smaller pie. So I, I brought him down. He's at 55 in my rankings, uh, just behind Ayuk, ahead of the group that, that Jacob talked about with, you know, Godwin and Deontay and stuff. But I think, you know, he's kind of st- like starting that tier off for me. Yeah, I have him at 56, so right okay. next to you. I have Deontay ahead of him, but that's the only one. I, I mean, the thing is, is he's just going to earn a shit ton of volume. Like, he is going to earn as much volume. Like, however good he still is at getting open and at running intermediate routes, he is going to – because he has – like, I know we all like Traylon Burks, uh, theoretically, or, or yeah. Like, in theory, we all sort of like Traylon. I, I know Corrine does. Uh, and I do, he can yeah. breathe now. But Traylon Burks' job – is is to he is going to be running the deep routes he's right? the deep I mean, yeah he, he's he the, is the deep guy yeah. and there is no other intermediate target earner on this team this is not a team that really throws to their running back i, I mean chig i guess chig. i think i think chig's chig is if he gets there in 2023 it's likely to be unefficient he's not getting not there volume. he's not chig. getting there because it, this is this is i think really bad for chig who is a guy so. that i don't think can operate Maybe I'm wrong about this, but my stance on Chick is that he is six foot no, two. No, Jacob, that's way too narrow. And that he he's really will struggle to operate as an 11 personnel base tight end. I think without Hopkins, it was okay because it was like, why don't we run this kind of weird 12 personnel offense? We can do whatever. We can be multiple. We can just use Chig as like effectively our other wide receiver. But if Hopkins and Burks are playing every snap, like then your options are either you're, you're using Chig as basically just a slot and you're taking Phillips or whoever off the field, or it's base 11 personnel and Chick's playing as the tight end, and I, I just don't know how often you do that. Like so this is for like 60% of the routes. I think you are, I think you're really looking at the trees and missing the forest, which is that, sure, maybe Chig only gets 86 targets or whatever this year, but one really cannot understate the difference between swapping out Nick Westbrook-Akine for even a 32-year-old DeAndre Hopkins. Like, the offense, however we were projecting the offense before, they have to project much better now. And not only that, Will Levis is not in the range of yeah, outcomes right yeah. now. Will Levis well, he's will in not. the range of outcomes. He's in the range. 
He's definitely in the if range. Tannehill, if Tannehill gets hurt. No. I mean, Levis, I think they could still suck. They could still suck. No. You guys. Come you on. Guys, the, the Cardinals one, suck. One, one, <laughs> their happens. division. One, because of their division. The same way. The, the Titans sucked last year, but felt competitive all year long because of their division. The same thing is going to repeat itself this year. And Mike Vrabel is his wet dream is to take a true talent level team of like four wins and win eight games with them. That is like that, 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 that provides him with a purpose. That is exactly what he has here. That it, 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 it's Tannehill unless he gets hurt. I mean, they would have to be, I mean, we just did this with Malik. I, mean, I agree with you, Tannehill, unless he gets Malik. hurt or if they suck. And I agree with you that like probably they're going to win between seven and nine games. But I don't think that's assured. And it also might not even matter. Like, what if the Jaguars win 13 games this year? Because sure. I don't Possibly. think the AFC I don't think the AFC South is sending two teams to the playoffs. Like so, way yeah. too many good AFC. Yeah, teams. the Jaguars are running away with this division. Where do you think the Titans offensive line was in PFF's offensive line uh projections, which came out? It's gotta be close to 32 this summer. I'm saying it is 31. 32. Oh, it's okay. 32. They project to have the worst offensive line in the league, which I mean. It could just get ugly. It could just get ugly. Derrick Henry could go, you know, miss some games. Like he's what twenty nine, turning thirty. Like the, it, it could just like not work. And then I do think we could see Levis. So I, I do think this is good for Tan- like it's it's definitely a signal that they don't think it's time to turn this over to Levis and and you know look ahead for the future. And Vrabel's like the last guy who would want to do that. So I agree with that, but. It just could get away from them, I think, still. Like, this is not a very – it's not like an overly talented roster, and Hopkins is still probably pretty good, but is not like a huge elite signing by any means at this point of his career. So, yeah, I would be a little nervous still. I mean, I know Tannehill's going to get drafted more as well, and I think that makes sense on some level, but, like, he still is at risk of not playing in the fantasy playoffs. Like, this could draft- be very bad. Would you rather draft Ryan Tannehill or Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter? I think Ritter is still Tannehill. my favorite of those guys. I will take. I think. Ritter. Well, I take. No, Tannehill, I'll take I think. Tannehill. I just yeah. he's, Tannehill, he's Tannehill's can, like a priority guy for me now. Tannehill's proven he can do it in a way that neither Howell Fair or enough. Have. And I don't think like Heineke and Brissett are that much different of threats than Levis is given the context of a that's team. No, Brissett is a much bigger threat than Will Levis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm saying that I don't think Levis is more of a threat than those guys are. Oh, okay. Well then I agree. That's, that's what I, yeah, I, I guess the, the, the only, th- the only pushback I'd have is like those two young guys, like the, the nice thing with them is their window of getting benched, I feel like, is is probably more in the middle of the season, where it's like if they're bad to start, they might get benched. But then if they're really bad, it's like you'd almost rather just let them. Yeah, you must get them back the season, in there, right? It's like yeah. almost like Davis Mills, where it's like Davis Mills like played and then he got benched, and they were like, "All right, well, sure, Davis." That's how I'm, I, I am expecting to eat it on Howell is that he actually comes back <laughs> in for the fantasy playoffs and and ruins me. Right, um, it's like once they're eliminated, you're more incentivized to play the younger guy. Whereas Tannehill, like he, his risk is like right at the end of the season. Right at the like, end, he's like it's like week sixteen, and they just it's got Hurts. eliminated. It's, it's Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts. Like that's the concern with with Tannehill because of the draft position. They took him early second round. This is a it's a classic. Let's see what we have. We need to we need more information before we go into the offseason after this dead season. Like. 
there is a strong, strong incentive to play Will Levis. It, just like they did with Willis last year, right? Like, let's see. Oh, sh- oh. They, they didn't they, play. We don't have they anything. Didn't play Mal- we, we- <laughs> they didn't play him until Tannehill turned his ankle. Yeah, but they had a mathematical chance to make the playoffs until the very last week of the season. Like they were playing, and then they brought in Josh Dobbs. Games. Yeah, right. Yeah, because but, well, but, but look, but they were basically playing a playoff game. Like that's if you're if you're drafting Ryan Tannehill, I think you are betting on the Titans not being eliminated from playoff contention yes. through yes. week 17 because I'm, the, I'm betting the first on... game that they are eliminated from playoff contention. Ryan Tannehill is no longer in the lineup. That, that seems no, like a lot. I, I, I just, this is not how Vrabel wants to do things. I yeah. Think. I mean, I think they need to know that. though. They need to know what Levis is. I know, but like, we, you think but they could be fine. Vrabel doesn't think like a, Tannehill? I just don't think Vrabel thinks in this like theoretical ideal, like general manager mind that we're assuming. Like, yes, I, I agree. It's in the he range. Get, he doesn't give play, a, he but... does not give a shit. All he wants to do is bite ankles, dude. Vrabel wants to win games. He's not, I, I don't think he's, yeah, gonna... but if he's five and 10, guess who hasn't been playing well? Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm not saying it's guaranteed that the second they're eliminated, Tannehill. We're, gets we're like, just disagreeing on the, the degrees of probability. Like I think I don't Ryan care Tannehill's... when, I don't care when he gets benched. I care if he is benched if in week 15, benched. 16 and yeah. 17. I don't right. care I know, if that's... it happened in week 12 or week four. It doesn't matter to me. I'm just saying, to be fair, like the guys he is going to be going near, like Purdy, Howell, and Ritter, I think have like similar chances of being betched out the stretch. So that that's where I, I was just like, got to, I just don't I think just it's similar. To... Howell, yeah. I think is probably similar. Howell, I, I don't think that Ritter is. is similar, and I don't think that well, I don't think Purdy is at all similar. I, I think Purdy is like, unless his elbow is non-functional, I think he's really. Safe. I mean, we have There's we have no evidence of a we have no evidence of Ritter like yeah. being a competent NFL. Quarterback that's the concern with Ritter. Right? Like that Ritter might just really suck. Yeah, like that's it doesn't my issue even, with him. Yeah, like that's the thing where. Like, I guess it, this all comes down to who, what players you have, right? Obviously, if I have Pitts, I'm going to take Ritter over Tannehill. And if I have Burks, I'm going to take Tannehill over Ritter. So maybe it's kind of like a dumb conversation to compare them one-to-one because that's not really how you think about it when you're drafting. But, like, in a vacuum, I just think Tannehill's, like, proven ceiling is a lot better than Howell and Ritter. So if, if you're asking me, like, do I prefer him to those guys? I think it's yes. But I agree with the benching risk. Like, But, but proven ceiling – in the Arthur Smith, AJ Brown era of his career, which is no longer there. Like in the post Arthur Smith, post AJ Brown era, it's, it's been not very helpful for fantasy for Ryan Tannehill. And I think that's hard to separate. Like a lot of Ryan Tannehill's best success was, and people in the fantasy world don't like Arthur Smith because he runs too much. And I get that, but he's a really, really excellent offensive designer. And a lot of that was like creating a play action system, hitting AJ Brown in breaking routes, He's running down the field like maybe Burks has that level of dynamism. We didn't really see it last year. It's, it's possible. Hopkins isn't that though. Like Hopkins is is more like matriculating the ball down the field 12 yards at a time. Like I, I'm not sure offensive line is atrophied. I don't know if they're getting a play calling edge. Like I I don't know. I'm just not sure that the that the ceiling is that different. Like I'm almost I'd almost just rather bet on Ritter as like Smith's moldable ball of clay than Tannehill and whatever's left of this environment. Like, I I, I like Tannehill as a, as a real-life player. I, I think he's clearly, like, a better real-life player than Ritter. I'm just not sure that this environment sets him up for fantasy success at all. One, the one way I'll say Tannehill would be my favorite is that if I have an elite quarterback and I'm just trying to get that second quarterback to help me advance, I do think Tannehill 
in most seasons is going to be like a better when on the field quarterback than than Ritter. You could also make the case for Howell in this. In Ritter, this, uh, Howell, yeah. Mac Jones. I mean, honestly, yeah. if you had to, if you had to, yeah, the answer is probably Mac you, Jones still. If I made you make this wager, made you make this wager, fantasy points per game, you get you get your pick of Stroud or Bryce Young versus Ryan Tannehill. Half point PPR point. I guess half point PPR doesn't matter. PPR points. Uh, you underdog scoring. Who scores more fantasy points per game? Ryan Tannehill or Bryce Young? You're you're taking Tannehill. Have Tannehill projected, yeah, almost yeah. two points yes. higher. Yeah. So for an 18th round pick, when you can get one, oh, also, I mean, I can't believe it took us this long to get here. Uh, he he has a dome game in Week 17, which I know we dis- we were disagreeing about his likelihood of getting to Week 17, but the fact that if he does play, it's in a dome. That that's another, and he will have 18 nice. pass attempts versus the Houston Texans. You might, I mean, sure. It's Tannehill has yeah, always been true. Tannehill has always been touchdowns, right? It's yeah, it's right. all that that right. it's all been touchdown driven. So in a weird, he's like a kind of like a spike week quarterback, where like a bunch, like there are gonna be there are gonna be a bunch of games where he throws like eighteen times and does, well, probably more now. Yeah. Although I don't know, it's I know, and it is going back to twenty twenty, but I I do just want to say like at the height of this Titans offense, they they were really good. They were fourth in the NFL of scoring at you know 31 points per game even when they were 30th in the nfl in pass attempts so like that's what this offense is if it's really good it's just super efficient passing derrick henry being super efficient running the ball i get that this is two years ago i'm not projecting it at that level now but in an individual game against the texans like in weeks 15 and 17 i still think there's like weekly ceiling for ryan Tannehill just having a couple really efficient games in a way that i'd feel more comfortable you know, betting on Tannehill having that big game than, you know, uh, Sam Howell versus the 49ers uh, defense in Week 17. Like They yeah, also I, play I, a bunch of shitty defenses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the offensive line thing is such a bummer because it's like they, they clearly just want to do the thing that, you know, they do again. But it's like Henry's really old now. Their offensive line stinks. Like, they're just a worse version of that. And I just don't know if they can – get a full yeah. season out of it i i, think I don't know like, if they can either but to me the difference that changed is the intention we have learned we yes. have learned the that's intention. nice that's true very true Should what we... about burks where did yeah. you where did you throw him Jacobs? um this, so I this think is where i feel to bad. me i i feel as though he should go like right around like elijah moore rashad bateman range yes so that's i think i have him a Above that, but not. I have him at seventy six, so I have him more in the Gabe Davis, Quentin Johnston range. So I have I have Burks at eighty four, and that's behind. Well, I have Bateman like ranked considerably ahead of the market. Um, but I I have Burks ranked at eighty four, which is like a little bit behind like Bateman, Tony, Elijah Moore, Cooks, Quentin Johnston, kind of at the end of that. Like I have him ahead of Zay Flowers, but kind of the second last wide receiver of the window for me. For what it's worth, my projection on him almost didn't change. Like, I had him at, uh, like, 11.12 PPR points per game, and he went down to, like, 11.02 because my my blocked his target share by 2.5 points, but then I increased the Tannehill games. I increased the, like, efficiency across the board. So his projection almost didn't change this at all. It's just, like, no longer is the 27% target share breakout really in the range. His range got tighter. Because you don't have to yeah, worry. Yeah. I don't think the odds of, and I do care, right? 
I said I don't care earlier when Tannehill's ban- benched. That's more for Tannehill himself. I do really care when yeah. when he's benched or if he's benched for Burks. And the odds that we now get half a season or more of Will Levis are much lower. But also, yeah, he's not going to have a 30% target share either. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree a li- more Burks now. Because because he's going to go, he might he might get to the wide receiver dead zone. You know, he might get to a spot to where, like oh, if man. if it's if it's Burks versus Jamison Williams, taking taking Burks all For day sure. every day. Like I would end up with a massive amount of him. I think his floor is the more Bateman because I think they're similar in terms of guys where it's like we're not really sure what the role is. We're not even 100% sure what the talent is, but like they're young players that have given us some reason for optimism and some reason for pessimism. And to me, that's like kind of where Burks belongs now. I could see yeah. That. I think more is an interesting comparison, right? Because like there's a little, I think there's even a little bit more role uncertainty with more because I think it's still in the range that DPJ is the starter in two wide receiver sets there in Cleveland. I wouldn't project that. I think that, that's the most the likely scenario. Like, for yeah, that's you think that's most likely? Yeah. Yes. Then, okay. Well, maybe that's a separate topic. I think if you think that's most likely, then wide receiver 44, 87, 80p seems, seems pretty bad to well, get. I don't have a lot of starter. Well, well, my take on Elijah Moore is that if he's not good enough, to displace DPJ from two wide receiver sets or force them to run 80% three wide receiver sets, then he's just not good enough to be an impact player. So I'm just, if I'm taking him, I'm just betting on him being good enough to dictate their change in personnel usage. And then, I mean, but but like, but, but then, and then when I don't click him, then I'm taking DPJ. Like I, I'm actually pretty in on both, but I think my main thing, I'm just projecting them to pass like a lot more than the market expectation. I'm just really Browns. That's the point I was setting up is that like more has more role uncertainty, but I think at the same time, more has a ton more upside than Burks does now with the D hop signing, just in terms of volume, right? Like Cleveland, Cleveland could be top five in the NFL and pass attempts. That's completely impossible for Tennessee. Um, both of them. I think also more has a better chance to out target Cooper than Burks has of out targeting Hopkins at this point in their careers as well. So it's kind of an interesting yeah, that one. Feel, like, that feels right. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting, if that becomes the the choice there, it's kind of interesting because I think more would have more upside, but a lower floor. But yeah, Burks, I do agree that Burks' range of outcomes just kind of got tighter. Like the offense should be more competent, um, probably more chances for scoring touchdowns, but way less chances to, you know, get a huge target share. So uh, that sounds right. Like if he's in the mid 80s, that's probably where I would click him like at about at market. Uh, to me Burks is almost even more like Bateman where it was like a prospect we had a lot of good priors on that is like shown a little bit and fits some starts in the NFL and then his team brought in other dudes and they also might not pass that much like that's kind of he's like quite similar to Bateman Elijah Moore to me is like Sky Moore but with one good year of NFL production before the bad year like where it's like Uh. he might have the slot role but like what is the role like how many routes like there's a lot more uncertainty but we know the offensive environment might be really really favorable and the one thing I would say I agree with that Bateman you also have this foot injury that he's coming off of and this cortisone shot thing that I think the market's baking in a little bit and I I like to kind of get my discount to an extent there you know rather than hammering him although I, I actually am still drafting a ton of Bateman but um I think Bateman would be more in the Quentin Johnston range if we just didn't have any concern about his health so that's like I, I completely agree with the Bateman comparison but 
I think if we just didn't have the foot thing, Bateman would probably be like one spot above where I have Burks right now or two spots ahead of where I have Burks right now. Um, as it is, I, I actually have Burks ahead of him. Yeah, that makes sense. To round out maybe the Hopkins talk, I think another thing that people are, are saying out of this news, and we've alluded to it, is that Derrick Henry becomes a much better click in the second round because the same things we talked about, the intent of the Titans are going for it this year. They're not trying to rebuild. Um, always was, always was, dot meme. <laughs> yeah, I like, I, I'm, he, he has risen a little bit. I think he was in the third for a while. Um, and now it's the back half of the second. Davis, as the, the Derrick Henry bull here, do you think he should even jump up further to like the mid second, um, like near Taylor or Barkley? I guess. What are your thoughts? The thing is, is I'm gonna. I've been having a a harder time clicking him recently because I just am so bullish on Pollard. Like for example, yeah. at one point I was like 16, 17% Derrick Henry is down to 12%, but Pollard is my most drafted running back, so it's Damn. it's hard. Um, but yeah, the the logic on a half point PPR website that Derrick Henry gets to play the Houston Texans twice in the fantasy football playoffs. It, it is literally unassailable. It, you, you cannot, you can try to assail it, but it is, it, it, he, he will simply. I will try to assail it. Can I try to assail it? He, well, you can, in the you second, can try. In the second of those games, he will be five days away from his 30th birthday, and he's running behind what is projected to be the worst offensive line. You don't even, you don't even believe it. You don't even believe what you're saying. What, what, what's your exposure to Derrick Henry fast? I definitely have some. Let me pull it up. Are you over uh, it's or under way, 8%? I, I'm way lower. Yeah, I'm I'm at four point six percent. Four point six. I am at an, I am at uh, I believe twelve percent. Yeah, it's a it's a, so good, despite, it's a good number. one randomly cut out out of context video clip that made it out of its way, um, saying that I didn't like Derrick Henry. That is in fact Russian misinformation and not true. Uh, I'm at percent. So I'm similar to you guys. I, I'm taking running backs in that range, but I yeah I like Pollard. You just got to take Pollard over. Him. Well, yeah. I, I Pollard's yeah. drafted Pollard. running back. I'm 26% Tony Pollard. Oh, wow. I'm only at 12. I take a ton of Taylor as well, which is obviously before that range. But like, see, I think, I think just but, ideologically, I ha- am going to take Henry over Taylor because I have more, I have so much Anthony Richardson. The audio listeners, no, that's, no, Anthony no, Richardson's no, that's, positively correlated Taylor with Taylor and Anthony Richardson because they're correlated season long, and you have the chance they of are correlated to season back long. and forth in the weeks. You get Leverage, the my Taylor friend. touchdowns one week, then you get your other quarterback in there, and then the next week you get low owned Richardson, and he gets all the touchdowns. And season long, they're correlated. So you're three uncorrelated single week tournaments. Leverage. I don't know, man. Are they yeah, I don't know how persuasive is, that is. The show that I did with Bond for last week, we we went on through this in detail about like the the Jones Barkley and the Richardson Taylor and like all of the the running back with the mobile quarterback with the two in the sure. window. That's like I'm I'm big on this. I want Richardson on every Taylor team, and I draft them both a lot and a lot together. I draft them both a lot too. So I I do draft them both a lot. I guess it depends. Like, I think it's been due to Richardson falling. Like, I draft them both a lot when I get Richardson at, like, 110, 120, it's, or whatever. It's, every once in a while, you'll be in a room with, like, 11 dudes who started playing fantasy football in 1989 and, like, do not want them. I got Anthony Richardson <laughs> on a Mahomes team in the 12th round Wow! Uh, oh last week. Congratulations. Like, it's just like, it's just like, I didn't even need him. How are and, you and he's got the back doors, too. Yeah. <laughs> It was a puppy. Anthony Richardson deal. is now in my he's now my second most drafted quarterback. And I was originally out on him when he like debuted, but um I guess the Colts fan and we got there. Um he's, he's my 13%. Third most. Yeah. 
Okay. Anyways, let's let's move on from Hopkins. Um, couple guys here that are interesting at the top of the the risers list. This is the biggest risers of the last week. The three guys at the top all stood out because they all have either injury or suspension concerns with Kamara, Kyler Murray, and and Joe Mixon. Let's start with Kamara. I think this rise is based on news that he pleaded to a lesser misdemeanor uh, than was originally going to be charged with in some kind of settlement. So people are interpreting that as good news for him, I guess. Um, I Drew Davenport. Good news for him, right? It, it is good. It is. Good. It is good news, but um, um, uh, pushing back on the fact that it it precludes uh, or it, it makes an expe- suspension impossible. I don't think that's true. The NFL still likely still... to get suspended. Isn't oh, it? yeah, that's definitely not true. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying is like my base assumption for Kamara was like a six game suspension, and I think that's still my base assumption. I guess this takes out like the full season suspension outcome. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, ever, in, like, is that ever a likely outcome? Like I, I guess to me this just tightens the range of outcomes. Like I always thought it was like 75-ish percent of his range of outcomes was somewhere between like four to six games with like a little bit of a chance of zero to two and a little bit of a chance of full season. And now it seems yeah. like it's like 95% of his range of outcomes is four to six games with like but like to me this like reduced basically to me it took away any chance that he doesn't get suspended and it took away a chance that he's out for the full season. So it made it more predictable. Yes. But I don't even know if that made him like a – I guess it makes him a little better pick because we, we have like more certainty that he'll be available in the playoffs. But I don't think right. it changed it that much. Like, I don't know. I was taking a lot of Camara. I was at 14%. Um, not even because I love Camara, just more because I hate that range of the draft. It's that range. If he, if he moves up into – like, he's already doing it. But, like, now that he's moving up into a new range of the draft, I probably have taken my Camara for the year. Yeah, I think I'll end up being because I wasn't really taking him because I'm like, I don't even know how much he has left. He's flashed like some real that two years ago, he flashed like some really gross stuff in uh, the rushing efficiency. He was a little bit better last year. Uh, They added Kendra Miller. They added Jamal Williams. I don't think that Jamal Williams is very good, but it just could be like. You know, this could not be like a backfield that we're excited to have. And then Kamara might not really have much left in the tank. And, you know, very likely you're not getting, you know, I was just like, why am I taking this guy who might get suspended for the full season? And it definitely is going to get suspended for probably four to six games. And I'm not even sure he's good anymore. And I don't love this offense. So I just hadn't really been taking him. But it makes sense for him to move up. Um but I, I I wonder if he actually goes back down once he is suspended. Because now I wonder if people are thinking yes. maybe he won't get suspended. So I'm gonna, I'm just going to wait at yeah. this point and see what the price is once we have all the information. Because this this doesn't feel great to me to take a guy who's probably going to get suspended four to six games. I would say more likely four than six at this point. But Well, let's um, just say, like, where would you take him if he was suspended zero? Like, let's work from there, right? Like, where do you think? Yeah, I, don't think I like him. I like him I more like, than all you guys because I like I like this. I don't even know if I like the offense, but they have the easiest schedule in the NFL based off last year's stuff. They have eleven dome. They have eleven dome games. They, I know it's it's very funny to joke about Andy Dalton and Derek Carr being the same person, but Derek Carr is better than. Andy Dalton and uh, the division is so like we were talking about with the Tennessee Titans stuff, like the division is so bad that you're, you have 
I would say sub 5% chance, sub 10% chance maybe of them, you know, not, uh, you know, being competitive by, by the fantasy football playoffs. And I think probably I, Sam says this, and I think this is a point that actually people forget sometimes, but sometimes the easiest way to look at what a guy can do is look at what a guy has already done. And Alvin Kamara has had multiple stretches uh, in his career where the touchdowns just won't come and they won't come and they won't come. And then they come all of a sudden. I mean, there were like Alvin Kamara was not nearly the guy that we thought he would be last season based on where he was drafted. And he still had, you know, one of his absolutely patented, you know, explosion games. And I think the other thing is all these guys, Kendra Miller, Jamal Williams, I mean, Taysom Hill taking the goal and stuff. Like I don't, really see the guy who's going to stop him from working in the passing game. Uh, maybe yeah. you could just say Push they were throwing it to that. Yeah, I was going to, well, they threw it to Mark Ingram. So why won't they just throw it to Jamal well, Williams? Or it's, whatever, it's not right? about who they throw it to. It's about what downs he plays on in the Sean Payton offense. They clearly valued pass receiving over pass protection in long down and distance situations. And it made sense. Like they still had Larry Warford on the offensive line. They still had Teron Armstead on the offensive line. And their offense was based around throwing to running backs, Michael Thomas on slant routes and seam routes to tight ends. Like it was very quick developing. Drew Brees always got rid of the ball quickly. Last year, Pete Carmichael's now calling the plays and very different offense built around Olave running intermediate pass, intermediate and deep routes, Shahid running intermediate and deep routes. Offensive line is atrophied and Alvin Kamara pass blocking grade by PFF, which I think is actually a pretty imperfect measure of pass blocking skill, but it is something when it's backed up by usage was second lowest among all running backs. He was at 20.2. And there were multiple games where he ran, he ran less routes than like David Johnson. Like, and he was, he was getting subbed off in long down distance situations. I, I think it makes sense in the context of an offense where they're trying to push the ball more downfield. Their offensive line isn't as good. And like, to me, it wouldn't be totally surprising if Jamal Williams is playing on some third and eights and some third and tens where they're just saying like, we just want pass protection instead of pass receiving in this spot. I think whenever they're scheming targets to the running backs, if the running backs primary or secondary read Kamara is going to be the back for sure on early downs. And I'm sure he'll get some work in the two minute drill, but I don't know that he has that like truly elite target earning upside. If he's not the one that's running all of the routes. And we saw a bit of the sea change with that last year where he wasn't naturally the running back in every pass game situation. And it was just, it wasn't as though targets were going to other backs. It was just, they just weren't throwing to running backs on in those situations. That's interesting. Yeah. I was going to make the point that I looked into this um, from week 13 to 18 last year, Kamara had a 55% snap share, which that, that sounds like low. That's actually not bad. My point isn't that that's bad. That was like top 12 at the position during that range the the wow. point i'm making that's, yeah it is, is that, it is kind of bad but that's amazing it's, that it's down 12 in, in the context why it was a good zero rb year yeah, yeah exactly uh in the context of last year's nfl it wasn't bad the reason it's bad is because his competition for touches then wasn't even mark ingram mark ingram was injured it was david johnson hmm. and eno benjamin who had been cut by the cardinals and signed from the saints those were the guys who were playing significant and divorced snaps. by the texans within like six days yeah so it's like that's where I, like i think the signal is clearly the, the end of last year they wanted to scale back Kamara's workload they invest pretty high draft capital and uh free agency 
uh, money into the position. You know, Jamal Williams got the third highest contract of any running back. Kendra Miller was the fourth running back taken in the NFL draft, like early third round. To me, all the signals are just pointing in like, you know, we do not want to use Kamara in that big of a role anymore. Um, or we don't think he's that good anymore. And yeah, that, that's where like back to your question, Jacob, if you ask me like where I would take him with zero suspension, it wouldn't be that much higher than where he's right. going now. Um, I, I know people disagree with me. Like I would take him near like James Connor. Like you could talk me into like the, the late seventies maybe, but it wouldn't be much higher than that. So I'm like, why, why but are I you paying? taking, are you taking him over Javante Williams? Cause I'm not, no, no. Yeah. So, I mean, Javante Williams ADP is uh, 90. I, I want yeah. Javante Williams. I like well, to me. It's, well, he, it's he and Javante Williams are he and Javante Williams are sort of like the same bet, really. It's that yeah, it's the, that they score a bunch of fantasy points in the playoffs after they come back from their respective things. Well, kind of. The issue with Kamara too is that there's multiple obstacles, right? Like you compare it to like, like let's say his base role is kind of similar to Aaron Jones's base role, but. Aaron Jones is one injury away from playing potentially 80% of the snaps, right? Whereas, like, realistically, one of, like, Kendra is a total stone zero as a rookie. Like, Jamal's still there. Jamal mm-hmm. Soxer gets hurt. Kendra's still there. Like, he needs, he needs two guys to either get injured or, like, I mean, Kendra could just fail, right? Like, he could go full Keyshawn Vaughn. He's a round three rookie. But he needs, No, like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on that. I'm going to push back on that because Kamara has just been a, a fucking stud in timeshares before. To me, it's a question of can he regain, can this be the last year that he has Kamara insane spike efficiency weeks or can he not? And it sounds like you and Pat and Sam all believe the, the crazy efficiency games are just done. There's just no more of those. I, I mean, I lost a lot of juice. I think he's lost a lot of juice. Yeah, I don't – could he spike in the right week? Of course he could. Like, it's a chaotic game. If he gets enough, you know, targets in any specific game, like, he's certainly capable of doing that. But, like, his yards per route run definitely aren't what they used to be. I mean, he has three seasons of 2.0 yards per route run or better in his career. So 1.62 and 1.66 the last two years, which which are good. for Like, those are good numbers for running back. But I'm just like – the rushing stuff hasn't been as impressive, so now the path really is uh, through the receiving game. The the pass blocking numbers that Jacob referenced like are horrendous. He, his grades two years ago was was twelve point three out of like a hundred, and last year was twenty point two. I mean, these are like horrible pass blocking numbers for Kamara. So I if if it's if it's more of an emphasis on getting the ball downfield and, and less dump offs on early downs, like. Maybe he's more like a Joe Mixon now in terms of his pass game involvement, where he's not always going to be out there in the obvious passing down situations. They'll certainly throw to him, but it's not like he's he's just kind of a harder time, I think, racking up targets. Yeah. The other issue with Kamara, I mean, Pat mentioned like he used to be a truly elite runner, right? Like he used to be like a Tony Pollard esque figure. Yeah. He, he, where it was like he was getting like five yards per carry anymore. You didn't give a crap if he only had 55% of the touches because every time he touched the ball, it was must see TV. Like it's now he's, he's just, yeah, like he's still a good receiving back, like not as much on the pass blocking side, but like he, like he can run the routes and he gets targets on his routes. Like it's, it's still like pretty good. Not what it used to be, but he's still, he's still good at it. Like he still 77 targets last year, but it's, it's, he's no, he's no longer like a get your popcorn ready type of player for sure. Right. Like I, I now care about his opportunity share. 
Yeah, but neither is is freaking James Conner. You know what I'm saying? But James Conner's sure. gonna get like all the touches unless he's unless he's the issue with Conner is if he's like just a little bit worse than we think, then it's like he's screwed because he's not very good. But and James Conner is actually team, a great pass team, protector. And the team doesn't matter. And you want to talk right. about you want you want to talk about teams where they're literally looking at the team at week eight, like what is the point? And this is a good segue to Kyler right. Murray, who we're about to talk about, where they're like Let's let Jonathan Ward play. Keontae Ingram. Why? Sure. You know, it's it's it because yeah. Juju's never be heard of. We're gonna learn Dude. names in in Arizona yes. if the, the Connor. Is, Amari, Amari Mercado, the guy who used to sub Kendry Miller off the field on third downs at TCU. He's uh, he's showing out in camp right there now. You go. The Cardinals. I guess there my only go. pushback on that is like last year that was the case, and they gave Connor like even more touches when things didn't matter. Like <laughs> like the Cardinals had zero you're, to you're play right. for down the stretch, and they just loaded up Connor with. Different coaching staff this year, I get it, but right. I, I I don't know. Um, I, I do think back to Kamara quickly, and then I want to get to some of these other players. Like the thing that scares me is if like if we were to you know if you were to tell me I have to bet on like five running backs in the NFL to have a hundred yard receiving game next year, like Kamara is still probably in the top five for me. Like I yeah. I do see how he buries me with like he, he had that game against the Raiders last year, right? He caught like you know, two touchdown passes, a hundred yards receiving, like added 80 yards rushing. Like, yes, I think there's worlds where the saints offense is better. Maybe one of the other two back, uh, backup running backs gets injured and Kamara can do that. But I don't know, like last year too, the saints had to, they were kind of like forced to use these guys. They didn't really want to in the passing game because Michael Thomas got hurt. Like Rashid Shahida undrafted free agent played a big role like this year with everyone healthy, um, in the pass catching core, you know, even Olave missed a couple games last year. I'm just not sure the plan is going to be to feature Kamara in the passing game. Like they have a lot of other serviceable options. I'm sure, Michael Thomas um, will continue to be at perfect health for the full season. Yeah, yeah, I'm projecting him to play all 17 games. <laughs> There's no way that goes wrong. But I don't know. Like it, it just seems thin. Like it, it seems like so many things need to break right for Kamara, which is why I just see cleaner paths upside. Uh, with other picks in his range, like considering all the factors. Um, the issue too with Kamara that's so tough about taking him is like, I generally, am, I well, part of it is like, I take a lot of Brees Hall as one of my early running backs. And I also will go like hero running back um, or zero running back sometimes still. I would like my running back in this part of the draft to like either be a really awesome upside swing um, or be like starting games. Like I kind of like want to, they're sort of fit in the two archetypes. And I guess the fact that I'm now concerned about how big of an upside swing Kamara even is, is like, you know, compared to like a Zach Charbonnet or like a Javante Williams, like I want those guys. Those, those are the ones who I can actually like envision being awesome down the stretch. Not that Kamara can't, but you know, you're not getting that big of a discount on Kamara relative to, to those guys. Well, the night that one changes Kamara's as his ADP shifts, he's now going on the other turn. So he's not going on the Brees Hall, Jameer Gibbs turn of guys without early season workloads. He's now going on the Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs turn of I need my late season hammer. My early season is covered. Mm. So the use case is changing a little bit. Like if you have, I agree. If I have Brees Hall, I want James Conner on my team. It's like, all right, I'm going to get points early in the year. Right, and if he is declared doubtful with general soreness in week sixteen, that's that's fine. Like I, he got, he helped get me there, and Brees Hall is going to carry the baton. But like, if if I have a team that starts Henry Jacobs, like then Kamara becomes a lot more appealing in this build. Where it's like I don't really, 
realistically, my first six weeks are fine. I'm putting them in every week. Yeah. Final point on Kamara, and let, then let's move to Murray. I think there's going to be a buying window later. That's how I'm playing it. I think he's going to get suspended. Even if you think this ADP bakes in the suspension, that's just not how the market works. They like will double count these things all the time. Yes. Especially in August, if Kamara gets a six-game suspension, casual people come into the drafts. They're, they're not going to like that O tag next to his name. I, I think he's going to fall. Um, so that's, that's how I'm going to play it. Let's move on to Murray. Uh, he's risen, which is interesting because I don't think there's any hard news about him. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but he has had some optimistic quotes about his recovery. So that's what I'm guessing is driving this. Um, he is at now 150 overall. Um, Davis, I'm, I'm curious how you're playing the Kyler situation. He's priced now near guys like Stafford, uh, Derek Carr, Jordan Love. How do you think his uh, his price compares to those guys, and are you drafting them at all? I mean, I totally get the theory behind Kyler Murray, right? It's very similar to the Deshaun Watson theory from last year where, like, okay, you get this stud quarterback back, this guy who's got all this ceiling, and if you can just get a team into the three-week sprint with Kyler Murray, um, you're going to have this huge advantage. It's also a way to backdoor a correlation to A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. If you miss on Jalen Hurts, you could take – and, I mean, you can even backdoor Kyler, too, because you can take McBride, you can take Hurts, you can take Keontae Ingram, Michael Wilson, Greg Dorch. The issue is eating zeros Michael at quarterback – I, for some people, not for. Oh, well, we weren't allowed to talk people. about him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Noted. That's, that's, that's Sam's favorite player, right? Yeah. Uh, the the issue with Kyler is is twofold, right? So it's you're eating zeros guaranteed. The other thing is you would anticipate the rushing production to be the last thing to return, probably coming back from an ACL tear. And what does Kyler? What is Kyler Murray without rushing production? Certainly not someone as good. And I mean. You know, like this is going to be the worst team in the NFL. So even like literally, let's say he comes back. Well, let's say he comes back. I still don't think you're guaranteed for him to play in week 17, honestly, because they might just be like, okay, your knee's good, whatever. Like, let's see what Clayton Toon's got, you know? So I've taken him, I've taken him a little bit. Like I don't, uh, I, I've, he... I've got him 4%, right? So it's like not like I'm never taking him, and I would obviously only take him in three quarterback built. Well, so my original thinking was actually maybe it's like super galaxy brain to do a Mahomes-Allen-Hurts team, right? And then you just backdoor him once with Kyler. Uh, yeah. And like you have, you have, all, you have alternate He shares the buy with uh, – is it Hurts? He shares the buy with someone. With one of them, no, I'm sure. It's but I, It's Lamar, I think. No, sure. is, it, is it Allen? I don't know. When's his buy? So – yeah, well, you guys are looking at that. I, I do want to say one thing on Kyler because I do think like this injury pessimism on him is like a little bit overblown. Just to compare him with another guy who tore his ACL. So Joe Burrow in 2021 tore his ACL, MCL, and PCL on November 22nd, completely blew out his knee. He came back week one the next year and finishes at the QB 10, 20 points per game. Kyler tore his ACL just three weeks later than that this year, and it was a clean tear. No damage to other ligaments. Um, you know, he's coming off QB9, QB4, QB4 season. So I'm not saying that, you know, Kyler's coming to that same situation that Burrow was coming into. Obviously, Burrow had Jamar Chase and T. Higgins had a great offense to work with. Kyler's coming into a bit of a, a hellscape in Arizona. But 
I just think the injury pessimism is a little, you know, a little overblown. Kyler's again, Kyler's younger than Joe Burrow. So it's not like there's this age thing at play here. Um, he's basically the same age Burrow was when he tore his ACL. And yeah, again, it's a clean tear. I think this like pessimism isn't really coming from any like hard news. It's just like speculation of, oh, the, the Cardinals suck and like they might not like Kyler or, or whatever. Like I'm slightly bullish on him at his ADP just because I think there's a chance where we're going to get news in a couple of weeks. That's like Kyler's planning to play week one and like the Cardinals are, are hmm. trying to win. Like, I just don't think yeah. that's impossible like uh, currently. So I want to take some stabs now. Because I think there's opportunity for him to rise quite a bit. Um, he is sharing a buy with uh, one elite quarterback. They shared a buy with only one other team, and that is the Washington Commanders. So he shares a buy with Sam Howell. Yeah, I don't know. I looked that up. I don't know what I was thinking there. <laughs> why? Why uh, I had that in my head? I also thought that that was true. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I take him the one. I don't really take him with Hurts because Hurts has the Week Seven buy, um, and I don't know if Kyler's playing in Week Seven. But Josh Allen and uh, Demar Jackson have Week Thirteen buys. So I think Hertz is you're 10, taking Kyler. Isn't Hertz a 10? 10? I thought yeah. it was seven. Anyway, I know Allen I did, and I have Lamar are for sure week 13. Um, and if you take him with them, like you're, you're certainly, you're certainly getting Kyler. Well, maybe you're not getting Kyler in week 13, but if you're taking Kyler, you're, you're certainly assuming he's playing by week 13. Uh, yeah. I'm optimistic on Kyler. Uh, I have, I'm at 8%. So I guess with the market um, and yeah, I take him either with an elite quarterback as my second or I take him with two other kind of mid quarterbacks and a QB and a three quarterback build. Um, one thing I'm fading is like the Arizona will just sit him out on purpose narrative. Like maybe if he's not ready to play by week 13 or something like sure. But if he's ready to play in like week five, I just, I just really think betting against NFL teams doing like proactive tanking is, is more often than not going to be the correct bet. Like how many times do we see NFL teams like, go full Sam Hankey. Like it just doesn't seem very frequent to me. Um, especially like new coaches coming in. Like does that coach want to start off his tenure with like a two and 15 no. season in like a totally non-functional team. Like I, I just feel like if I was coaching and I want to, like, we're talking about how they're going to be the worst team in the NFL with Kyler. Like wouldn't you at least just like want to try and have some level of functionality and like have some level of morale, like even in terms of the young guys, like I just don't think that you're, Especially the way coaches think and the way they obsess over culture and motivation. It's it's are you it's establishing extremely, a strong culture if you're intentionally trying to lose games? Yeah. You're you're extremely correct. It's it's the it's the Vrabel Tannehill thing. You know, it's just that's just not really the way NFL coach even if even if they are nine thousand to one to win the super it's it's like the Texans winning that last game of the year, right? Just the the super meaningless game at the end of the year. Like they don't care. They, they, they just they just want to win games. That's all that matters. To and keep it- I'll also note on the rushing, Sean Watson, 5.14 rush attempts per game in his rookie season when he tore his ACL, comes back year two, 6.19 rush attempts per game. So he actually increased by over one rushing attempt per game coming off the ACL. Earlier ACL there, but certainly did not negatively impact his rushing next year. Yeah. The one thing I'd also say on the motivation for the Cardinals, keep in mind they have Houston's first round pick. So there's a world where Houston's like 0-9, right? And they're like, fuck it. Like we have a good chance of the number one overall pick, even if we win a couple games, right? Because Houston's going to be so bad. So again, that's this thing where the motivations, like the Cardinals aren't like, you know, simulating a Madden franchise um, at home on their Xbox. Like the coaches actually have to play for his job. They can't just tank games and, 
uh, you know, lose for the draft pick. It's possible they could, but like we don't see that happen in the NFL like I, very often. Yeah. The issue with the NFL is that like when you do that, you, the odds that you as the regime survive it are very low. I think that you're most likely to be able to survive it if you're both new. And, and that's what makes me a little bit nervous about Kyler this year is that you've got new general manager, new coach coming in together and like how, how into this Kyler Murray experience are they? Do they want that to be their life for the next five years, you know, trying to squeak something out of this team with Kyler or do they view this as their, their opportunity to get a fresh start? Cause they're only going to get one chance to kind of move on from Kyler and it's this year. Um, so I've been kind of I've probably been overly nervous about that though because I I generally do agree that like and when it comes down to it NFL teams and NFL coaches like they just do not want to tank. Well, the other thing too is like one thing if they're literally zero and eight and it's like we're going to get the number one overall pick and you know and that it's it's Caleb Williams or maybe they've already looked at it and said we're already out on Kyle. We've already made that determination. Like we've seen enough on film, the contract's too bad. He, he plays too much call of duty, whatever it is. Like, I don't know. But if they're undecided at all, wouldn't you want to play him? <laughs> like find out, like, do we like this guy? Like, you know, and then the other aspect is if they have decided that they're out and they want to trade him in the off season, wouldn't you want to showcase him a little bit. Like wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't his trade value be better if he's played some football games? I don't even know if it would, to be honest. I think you might be better off just keeping him on ice and making sure he's healthy. It depends and... how bad the offensive environment is, I guess. But, I mean, even yeah. like – and again, I'm not a cap expert, so I could be missing something here. But to trade him next year would come with $81 million in dead cap for the Cardinals. Like, I don't even know how feasible that really is to do. I know teams have gotten out of really bad contracts before, but that, that's a hurdle in itself. I mean, just just it's a hurdle, but season, if they have like, the number one pick, it's a hurdle they will jump. Maybe I, mean, you just I, eat I, it, I don't right? know. Like, like the Falcons basically did that two years ago. I just don't know. Like we're pretending it's just the Kyler like narrative is so strange because last year in like dynasty startups he was what like the sixth overall pick in superflex leagues, like top eight pick. Like everyone was projecting him to be like really good for a long time. He just came off his you know his best passing year ever. And all of a sudden now it's like he's a guy where the team is going to tank and trade and get rid of him. And he's like no good anymore. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I still think he like if I am walking into that job as a GM, I do get if you have the number one overall pick like that changes things. But like I, he's still proven a lot in the NFL in ways that, you know, a number one overall pick, you have to project a lot to get there. And I think a coach who's taking this job with a guy who has that much of a dead cap and that big of a contract isn't coming in there like with the plan to get out of it. It just would be kind of weird to accept that job if you, you, that's what your plan is. I think it's just weird uh, to accept that job full stop. <laughs> I mean, which is maybe why only, they got a weird, only, a weird coach. It's only 32 jobs. It's only 32 jobs. Like it, it, it's just yeah. when you get the opportunity to be a head coach, you just – Take it. You just do it. Yeah. Explosion. Yeah. So let's <laughs> let's talk Mixon. Yeah. Um, Mixon. I'm, ready, I, I'm gonna be taking a bit more Kyler going forward. You guys, you guys convinced me of that. Great. Um, Mixon. Yeah, I, I, I want to like, take. I think he's good. I like Mixon. So I thought Mixon was gonna spike a lot, but he 
Like, I still have been getting him, like, in the 50s. Like, even after the news, he restructured his contract. So, I don't know. I just think we're in this weird, like, wide receiver, uh, thirsty environment where even where Mixon, like, should be maybe a third-round pick. Like, I just don't think he's going to jump those guys to get there. So, I'm going to be – if he's in the 40s, like, I get he can still be suspended, but I, at least I, I see the payoff with Mixon in a way that I don't really see it with Kamara. Uh, there's no other running backs on that roster of note. Um, you know, he, he basically has been what he's always been, just kind of like an inefficient guy, but someone who can soak up a ton of volume. Um, if you can get that around pick 50, like I think I'll be at market, maybe even slightly slightly above it at that price. So um, curious what you guys think, Pat. Are you are you interested in mixing with this news or what are your thoughts? Yeah, at pick 50, I'm interested. Uh, he moved up to 47 in my rankings. I was um, – Considering moving him up, or I think I did move him up for like a day, a little bit higher than that, in part because I was like, oh, God, like, is there going to be kind of this hype train around him? So I was like, what's the highest that I kind of feel comfortable? And it wasn't that much higher. I think I had him more like in the mid 40s. Um, so just a few spots higher. But I don't think that's coming. And we're, we're now sort of the next part of the discourse appears to be like, well, is he going to get suspended? Um, which strikes me as, you know a real possibility and that should help keep a little bit of a cap on how much hype there is. And I'm still not like, I don't want to be like super bullish on mix. And I think he has some left in the tank, but he is a very, he's a flawed player. Like he's, he's always kind of been overvalued in my opinion. You know, he's, he doesn't really play on third downs. He probably still won't play on third downs this year. Cause it's sort of the pass blocking thing. They've always taken him out for that. Um, And so, yeah, I, I think, Around pick 50 seems seems fine. My issue is structurally is that like I, I just need a wide receiver there a lot. Right. Like at the yeah. four or five turn, I almost always need a wide receiver. So yeah, and I don't know like if I'm gonna make the the priority for mixing there because ETN ETN sometimes falls to the four or five turn, and I don't even take him because I need the wide receiver so bad. Mm-hmm. I'm and I'm like, that's one of the reasons I sometimes struggle with the the running back value at the two three turn, because I'm like I, I, it's hit me enough times where I'm like, I have to pass on Travis Etienne at a huge ADP discount because I, I sacrificed my my flexibility at the two three turn. Uh, I don't, I'm not keeping that flexibility for Mixon. You know, I might, I might take like a extra Devonta Smith and hope for a a sweet uh, ETN value. But See, I, I take him a lot. I take him a lot on Mahomes teams. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would even there. I mean, you still point. need the wide receiver, right? Like, it's still a little. Jacob, yeah, I was, what are your thoughts? I was gonna make basically the same point that Pat just made, which is like, I've been taking Mixon just mostly because I've been expecting a rise in in ADP. Um, I think people have been. I don't know. I, I don't like players like Mixon, where it's a type of player I don't want to draft, but I think that the price doesn't make any sense. It, like frustrates me when there's those spots because I would rather just always be zero percent on Joe Mixon. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah that price is just bad. Like he was, I don't know. He was a second round pick last year. He wasn't like a particularly good second round pick. He also wasn't like a particularly woeful second round pick. His role is basically the exact same position on him. So it might just well, be kind of a prior thing. Right? Well, I had a fade on him last year. Like I'm, I thought I he was too. a very bad second round pick coming into the year. I'm just saying like, he didn't perform horribly. Like he was, That's yeah, I wouldn't, was I would not be taking That's him true. in the second round. But right. I'm taking like him you, in the fourth and fifth round. Yeah, exactly. Like if you took Mixon last year in the second round, you you like aren't victory lapping it, but like it didn't like gut your team or anything. It was like a, a fairly inoffensive pick. 
Um, and then the situation probably improved, right? Like, it, yeah. like they got rid of Pirine, so it opened up some possibility that he now plays on third downs. I agree with you. I don't think that's the single most likely outcome, but it's more likely than it was prior to last year, I think. And then his price, yeah, like now it's, it's a lot cheaper. And I get part of that is the environment, and part of that's just baking in age risk. But again, like, He's basically Najee Harris, but on the Bengals. So it's like hard for me to to value him that poorly when he's going like a full round behind Najee Harris. I, I don't think that Najee Harris is like necessarily, you know, the sun by which I think he's better than Najee Harris. All good value rotating, but it is it, it is it's just a it's a point. Um, I've been taking him a little. I'm I'm only a little overweight, like ten percent just based on kind of what you said, like I'm usually one wide receiver through three when I'm drafting at the four or five turn, which is where Mixon goes. Like it's, I'm almost always taking a wide receiver in the first. I'm usually not taking a wide receiver in two or three. Like if Devontae or Lave falls, great. Otherwise it's usually running back, running back or running back quarterback. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then, you know, if I, if I then take another non wide receiver, I'm, I absolutely have to double tap wide receiver at the six, seven turn. And I don't always want to feel like I have to, double tap wide receiver the six seven turn so um there's good tight end values there right like i want to take waller i want to take Pitts. i mean i i even like i'm mildly interested in cam Akers. so it's uh yeah i also really like dobbins so like on the cases where Mixon falls i'm just like i actually just like jk dobbins more so i'd rather i don't really want to like just have to feel like i'm taking this falling Mixon. so i don't know i've been mixing him in mixing him in um in this like right a lot right now i do still think he's gonna rise we've had this discussion before where if like news comes out and then it doesn't really rise that much and we're like oh i guess it's not gonna rise that much but it eventually does over time it's just mm. people are kind of leery of taking guys ahead of adp so i think it builds slowly but i i still think that if he doesn't get suspended by the time we're doing these in late august i think he goes three four turn like i, I think when's he his court date isn't it mid-august August 14th yeah yeah that's why i'm leery of I, I want some stabs in the 50s i'm hesitant now to chase him up to like the like around 40 just because i think the suspension stuff is still i don't know i'd say likely but definitely possible. still lurking though for sure it's, it's still lurking yeah. and yeah like what is his absolute ceiling adp isn't it if he likely? Get isn't he gonna get something it's i mean I unless the charge is unlikely well, see, what, Cause, what cause seems wouldn't they just adjourn it? Like, wouldn't they just keep getting adjournments? It's not hard to get adjournments. No, I think there's something with the timeline of this case. This is where I'm saying, like, a point that I don't fully understand. But the legal experts that I've read, I think there's something to do with the timing of this case where it's likely that something is going to happen in August, like, not a postponement or something. But, Jacob, you, you're a lawyer. Really? You okay. definitely know, well, I'm not, know I mean, I'm not that familiar with the details of the mix and case. Like, I, yeah. I understand. And I'm also not an American lawyer. He like brandished um, a gun so. at a woman the night before the AFC conference championship well, game and then like went and drove to the oh, team I'm, bus. I'm yeah, familiar with the facts the... of the case. I'm just saying like the procedure of the case. Because last year, like Kamara had a trial date and then it got adjourned. And then he had another trial date and then it got adjourned. Mm -hmm. And like if you're Joe Mixon, it's like, you know, adjourn that shit. I, like I'm just, you know, live like there's no tomorrow, man. Like it's yeah. like you're like play as many games as you can this year because he's. Who knows if he's even going to be employed next year? So it's like a, a, an unpaid suspension out of this year's contract is a like much bigger risk than an unpaid suspension out of a future contract he may not have. So if you're Mixon's legal team, like your objective is just adjourn, 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 adjourn. But if you can't do that, I don't know. I'm just not familiar with like the procedural 
specificity of the case where where there's some reason why you couldn't postpone, but um, oftentimes you can get things postponed if you yeah. try hard enough. Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting one to monitor. I, I also would want to know, like, in this contract that Mixon got, how much of the guarantees could be voided if he gets suspended? Because I, I think it depends if it's like a signing bonus versus like game day, whatever bonuses or whatever. So that, that'd be interesting to see how it's structured if like the Bengals are setting themselves up to get some of the money back if he is suspended. That would send a bit of a signal as well. Um, but at this point, I, I think we just don't know with Mixon. It's something it is interesting worth monitoring. Though. Like it was, we think through the suspension risk stuff, and I think Goodell's suspending him. If, um, plus, you also have to, there's like Mixon came into the league, he only fell to the second round probably because he had hit this woman in a McDonald's on video, or I don't yeah. know if it was McDonald's, but some fast food restaurant. Um, and so, like, with that history, I, I just think he's definitely gonna get suspended as soon as this wraps up, but, um, we don't, you know, we don't know when it's going to wrap up. And it is kind of interesting that the Bengals did rework the deal and really don't have a backup option of note in place when it would have been pretty easy for them to just be like, ah, we couldn't come to an agreement. We're going to sign Zeke. Zeke you know, or we're Fournette sign... or Kareem Hunt or whoever. Yeah. There's so many options for them to play this through, not mix in. It does make me think that maybe maybe they think the suspension risk is is not all that high. Yeah, the, the only slight pushback I have is cutting Mixon. They, they could have saved some money, but I think it still would have come with some dead cap uh, to cut mm-hmm. Mixon. Yeah. So they did. The Bengals did have some incentive to like find a middle ground, right? I get. I totally get what you're saying, though. And I think Wouldn't like just one be of these really annoyed with him. He did this like right before their playoff game. Yeah, like I think these other free like, agents are still like, maddening to me. Yeah, the, these free agents should definitely still be like considered in play for Cincinnati. I think, like, especially if they're especially if you know Fournette. Him. If Fournette apparently Fournette left Tampa Bay because he wanted to like play for a good team, right? Like that well, makes a lot of sense. As Fournette the is he the agent for Leonard Fournette. Well, yeah. no, but it's like literally he also put out a hat of the teams he was willing to play for, and it was like every single fucking team except <laughs> the Buccaneers on that hat. So I think he was like, I want to play for a winner meaning not this franchise without Tom Brady. Yeah. Smart man. I, I also think he may be reevaluating his market um, at this point in time. Like his market might not be as, as nice. Well, as all these dusty was. old guys being available all in one summer are really like, there's, there's probably only two spots for Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott, and like Melvin Gordon, you know, and they're all sort of competing for, yeah. Like the first camp injury or whatever. Well, Melvin Gordon's you know? losing that competition. Yeah, Melvin Gordon's the last on that call. List. I mean, that's what and you guys break, that's what you guys that's what the, you guys think, Melvin but Gordon Latavius Murray order. just got like a three million dollar deal from the Buffalo Bills. That's crazy. Man. Well the Broncos People don't want to hear Latavius like Murray. Million, but... The Broncos literally had their choice between Latavius Murray and Melvin Gordon, and they chose Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray was good last year. People don't don't want to admit it, but it was good last year. Um, I just remember seeing FFPC bids for Latavius Murray and being like, I can't believe that I don't just win the main event every single year with what people are bidding on Latavius and they Murray. They were right. They were, they they were, were kind right. of right, to be honest. And, and they were right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to Sky Moore. Um, he is up again. He's just kind of been the steady drip upwards all offseason. Uh, we're still looking into who's responsible for this. But uh, I, I kind of had to come to Jesus. I'm going to get arrested for insider trading on this. This <laughs> yeah. was one of my calls on ADP chase, and then he would go up. Yeah. Although I don't I, think we piped him a ton. 
It's mostly last. I had a little bit of a, a come to Jesus moment on Sky Moore where I'm so out on on Tony, and we don't need to go back into that. But I feel pretty strongly in, in wanting to be out on Tony at his price. And you, you, you look how the math shakes out after that. And I think I do have to be in on Sky Moore at around 110. So I've been taking him more. You sound so excited about it. I, I'm not, I, I really hate it when I do it, but you know, you can squint. Uh, I hate to squint at players' rookie years to tell good stories, but there is a way to squint. Don't, no, no, I can't. I'm literally not going to allow this. You cannot, the only way you can frame Sky Moore's rookie year as a positive is if you say Andy Reid very rarely turns the reins over to a rookie wide receiver. I can't, there's All nothing you else you can say. You the target per route run. Is... Look at the target per route run and yeah. the PFF grade. And the reception perception, and exactly. then just say context, never heard of her. Um, and and <laughs> most samples, never heard of them either. And, and just and blindly follow. I know I'm like chasing my own tail with it, and I know it's not good signal, but I- I'm making the excuse for Sky Moore, and I think I'm taking him at, at pick 110. But I'm, Davis, I'm taking sounds him. Like you're out. No, I'm taking him, but I oh, okay. this is you're not going to catch me publicly being like Sky's a good pick. It'll be something I'll no, no, I won't say afterwards. That yeah, like yeah. I'll, I'll like when I like. I, I love that you're honest about this. It's so funny. yeah. Like I'll be like, I was actually taking Sky more the entire time. But I think the, <laughs> I think the the bust risk of him playing behind Richie James and Rasheed Rice is so high Very that high. I can't possibly come on this program and tell other people to do what I'm doing. Like it's yeah. Because Sky is basically like Tony, but without a breakout game. He he didn't have the 18 target breakout game that he got ejected from. He's got nothing. He just has no, and and that's a lot well, of great he games Darius Tony into yeah. running the wrong route so that he could get a touchdown. I mean, the guy's wily. You know, you got to give him credit. <laughs> I mean, um, he was a pretty solid number two to D. Eskridge at Western Michigan at one point. So we have to go for true, that. That's true. Yeah, he was a that's pretty a good, good number two. Yeah, Madison um, Barkill had um, a. Uh, if you want, if you want a legit bull case, um, someone went out on a limb this year and and made the legit bull case for Sky Moore. The tar- they had art. The title of the article is "Reach for the Sky," so it's a legit nice. uh, bull case for him. You can check out his. He is telling you at the same time that it's a reach when you're taking him, but um, at least he admits that in the. the We're saying reach for this guy. I've been <laughs> I've been kind of the same as, as you, David, this year. Where like I just I turned myself into such a total idiot, like bag pumping Sky last year that I don't think that I have to. A, I think that I have to continue. Like my punishment for my sins of 2022 <laughs> is to keep drafting. Is that a that I have to keep taking them. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not in total silence. Yeah, I'm not in total silence. But I can't recommend it to others. Like, I just have to, I have to be there and I have to, like, wear the chain of my sins. Um, I was once at 22% Sky Moore as his ADP has risen. I've taken that as a sign that potentially I don't need to continue to make him one of my most drafted wide receivers. So I'm now down to an entirely responsible 17% Sky Moore. But I've got eleven percent. I'm over. Yeah, I'm, I'm at eleven points So I'm I'm nine percent or up on all the top four Chiefs wide receivers. I'm overweight on Sky by the most, but I'm also overweight on Rice, and I'm overweight on Tony, and I'm overweight on MBS. Um, I, I just think that the likelihood that Chiefs wide receiver doesn't produce a winner for two consecutive years just that that feels really unlikely to me. Like I think that's just rolling once twice. So I, I just want to once again Martin Gale Chiefs wide receiver as a general bat at yeah. way cheaper prices than they were last year. Like I'm playing it through Moore and Rice primarily. 
I'm playing through Morton Rice and a little bit of MVS as well. I mean, I think MVS is just like total pennies on the street. Like MVS is going to run 80% of the route. So that's probably not run as cold as last year. In Madison's piece, he mentioned that, you know, Rice is kind of seen as like a potential, uh, his potential competition for more, but that he might not be a slot guy so much as someone who could play on the outside. And MVS and Tony also, I think, will mix into the slot, but also play a fair amount on the outside. MVS was also like not always an 80% route guy last year. Like no. he was sometimes rotated out. Um, I, I'm worried a little bit about how much playing time we actually even see from MVS. He was in an in, in open score last year. He was tied for last uh, among all wide receivers with Corey Davis. So like, I think he might be like kind of sneaky done. I mean, I don't think that they care is, is my take. Like, for as long as the Chiefs have That's, had Andy Reid, there has been a receiver that has played this position, and it's been Chris Conley, it's been Demarcus Robinson, it's been Marcus Valdez-Scantling, and, like, the objective is not to earn targets. The objective is not to get open. The objective is to block dudes in the run game and, and, and run down field and be large. And I, I just yeah. think, like, those are like wily veteran responsibilities. So I, I just don't think that Rasheed Rice is going to do that. I think yeah, that, uh, that's like MBS. And then when MBS needs a Gatorade, it's Justin Watson. And I think that if MBS ever got hurt, there will be people that will be playing Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice in DFS next week. And they will be disappointed when Justin Watson runs yeah. 82% of the routes. Like I, I think that those two are like occupying. This is, this is the point of the show where the and chat the other says people are going for the other spots. The chat is pro- I'm not even looking, but I know they're typing about Justin Ross Justin right now. Ross. And I want, this and is I Justin want to Ross's no. music is playing right now. <laughs> and I want to remind all no. of them not to do that. Don't well, do look, that. You, I'm not going to say you should draft Justin Ross, but I do think the fact that he has a legitimate chance to make the roster. Do you not think he has any chance of making the roster? Because I, I, I think he does. Wise. He could. He I could mean, totally he, make. He could totally. What make percentage the would squad? you say that he makes? What percentage would you give Justin Ross to being active in Week One? He'd have to beat out Justin. 10%. He'd have to beat out. He'd have to beat out Justin Watson, which feels unlikely. Because the other thing beat is, out John Ross. No one, no one wants to say it, but the Week One wide receiver targets leader for the Kansas City Chiefs, his name is Richie James. No. Is Richie no. James a roster no lock? Yes, no, I think he because he's he's the returner. Is he for sure? They have a few returner options in camp, don't they? I mean, I don't know if they. I don't know if they'll want. I don't know if they'll want Isaiah Pacheco to be the kick returner if they're actually counting on him to be the primary running back. But Jacob, do you remember your Indianapolis Colts beat the Chiefs last year? Boy, do I remember that game because of how bad their special teams are. For a moment there, yeah, they cannot go into another season like this with the worst return game in the NFL. Richie James is good at it. He will be a core four special teamer. He will make the team because of so, that. So I think Justin, like if you're delving into horrible Chiefs wide receiver picks, Justin Watson dub- doubled up Richie James in terms of guarantees. Uh, you got a two-year deal with the Chiefs this offseason. I mean, it's it's so gross, but couldn't Justin Watson just take MVS's role like, yes. and just do? Yes. Like, That's not what I'm saying. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, th- okay. Th- I mean – I get, I don't know. I'm not touting him, but like if I'm taking a last round guy on the Chiefs, I think I'm taking Justin Watson over Ross or James. Right. My, and my no point one's doing on it. the MBS stuff is like, sure, if you like want to make a Justin Watson case, you can make a Justin Watson case. My main take on the Chiefs wide receivers is like 
there's there's three spots and like one of them is not available to the fun players like one of them is mvs's and if it's not mvs's it's watson's and then and then the other three young guys are competing for two other spots is my take like it's it's yeah. Sky Moore versus Rice for like the Juju Sammy Watkins like intermediate kind of guy, and then Tony starts in the Hardman role, and then if Tony's legitimately good, then he's the guy in the two wide receiver sets with MVS, and it's the slot guy that comes off the field. And if he's not that good, then it's the Sky Rice guy who stays on the field, and Tony just does the Hardman stuff. Like that's that's my read of it. But I think that Sky is the one that has some multiple outs because I think he can win that spot off the jump and run somewhere between 60% of the routes to 80% of the routes. Or when Kadarius Tony gets hurt or threatens someone online and gets suspended by the team or decides to dedicate himself to making music or for any number of reasons is no longer available, then I think Sky becomes a logical choice to do the run around laterally and get tap passes role, which is a, a pretty legitimate role in the chief's offense. Yeah. I will say if you're, if you're fading Tony right now, you have like a once in a lifetime chance to actually impact his ADP. If you just like tweet at him and talk shit to him, he'll probably DM you uh, with some, some slurs and insults and might actually lead to him getting suspended. So I'm not advising that anyone creates burners and, and do this, but I'm saying um, maybe it, repeat that. Cause it seems like you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm specifically saying do not do that. Um, but it's an interesting way to play uh, the Tony market. But yeah, I don't know. Um, Rasheed Rice, uh, like, I, I want to talk about him for a second. Like, if I just told you um, the Chiefs are drafting a wide receiver in the second round, I, I told you this like before the draft. I'm saying the Chiefs are drafting a wide receiver in the second round. They're not bringing in any major free agent additions. Hopkins, anybody else is completely off the table. Like, where should he go in ADP? Like, what would you guys say to that? You didn't know it's Rice. It's just any wide receiver in the second yeah, round. Yeah, he would be He would be where he would he would go Eighth, where ninth, Jordan ninth. Addison is going. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what I'm saying is, like, I, we're discounting sure. Rice so not. much because, because yeah, exactly, because we, like, he's a bad prospect. I think he's my most drafted wide receiver. Yeah, confirmed. But, 22% but he, I think most we're, drafted wide receiver. I think receiver. we're going too far with it. Like, it's a second-round wide receiver on the Chiefs in, like, this completely wide open wide receiver room. I get it can fail, but like pick 150. I don't know. It's just such little opportunity cost. Like, I mean, you're me, right. And I know that you're right because I like, I'm sure care more about like dynasty level prospecting and analytical prospecting than 95% of people in draft rooms. And I'm overweight Rishi Rice. So if I'm overweight Rishi Rice, like you're, you're right that he's probably being, probably being under, under drafted. Yeah, I should probably even be taking more of them because I'm basically even with the field at this point. So I should be I should be steadily overweight, I would say. And one thing Am I the only one here that's overweight Tony, by the way, or is at least Dave? Oh, I'm very underweight Tony. Uh I bet I'm overweight, but I bet my correlation with him to Mahomes. Yeah, I am overweight, but my correlate Mahomes is my third most drafted quarterback, so it's it's literally probably a one to one. I would would never take Tony on a non Mahomes Borough team. I but Correct. on Mahomes Burrow teams, he is always there, and yes, he gets I drafted agree. by me. Let's let's move on here. Um, well, can I just ballers. make a point on Rice? Real yeah, quick? yeah, oh yeah, please. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So I just want to. I I mentioned this with Zay Flowers and stuff um, when I when he was coming out, and so this isn't a perfect point because I'm gonna it, some of it's draft position, but like Kendall Wright was I you know kind of in all of our minds like a total bust. 
but like he even Kendall Wright had two seasons of 10 plus half point PPR uh, points per game in his second and third year. Um, as a rookie, he had over a hundred targets. So like it, guys who are like the dynasty stuff, like from the prospect evaluation point dynasty, it's, it's obviously more important because we're saying how good are these guys going to be over the course of many seasons. And in that sample, how good they are is going to have more of an opportunity to shine through, but in a wide open chiefs chiefs depth chart, um, even if rice ultimately is seen as a bust, he could still have a good rookie year. So I'm pro- I probably like need to keep reminding myself to like, no, just take mm-hmm. rice. I know it doesn't feel good, but this price is providing. You shouldn't it feel good though? Like what's the difference between Rasheed rice and McCall Hardman as a prospect? I mean, Rice is probably a well, better Hardman prospect than Hardman. Sucks as a prospect. Yeah. Hardman's okay. Well, Hardman had, and, then he, Hardman. and then he sucked in the NFL. Yeah, but he had years. he had but he had six touchdowns and six hundred yards as a rookie. You take that where Rice yeah. is going right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a better that's the point Pat's the, making. Right. That like yeah. he doesn't at this price. You're not even banking on him having a great rookie year. Like you just need a couple weeks. You, you're not even banking on him being like, good. You're just banking yeah. on him being in a good situation, which he definitely is. Yeah, like I, I can definitely see the case for for Rice. Like I was doing a dynasty pod. Um, we're talking about the Chiefs wide receivers just the other day, and like it is, it is notable how differently the market has treated Rice and even Hardman because like Sky, I guess because like we've been burnt every year for the last five years trying to pin the tail on the non Tyreek yeah, wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, I think Sky's a different case, and that like people like, and and again, like, I am people, but like we were very excited about Sky more regardless of where he went and then the chiefs excitement like, yes. exacerbated that but like yes. if sky Moore was drafted by like the colts like he, he would have still had fans whereas like hardman was entirely a function of drafted by the chiefs like it was we would have gone nuts if he was on the Ridley packers would be drafted before him. yeah 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 he we probably would have had a better year he probably would have had a better year on the packers honestly <laughs> <laughs> What was the one of you? One of you two told me this stat. It was like, uh, like uh, of Chiefs wide receivers, there were only two instances of twenty plus half point PPR games, and they were one was Hardman, one was Juju. Yeah, that was me. We went. I think that was last week, and they were both in the same the same week last year. Um, Hardman and Juju went over twenty. So goddamn funny. And no funny. Every other week, you did not get a Chiefs wide receiver over twenty points the whole season until I think MVS maybe did it. MVS did it against the Bengals, maybe as well, but um, in, the in the playoffs. Yeah, in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, the Chiefs' wide receivers were was just uh, yeah chasing your own tail last year. Um, any other points on the risers here before we talk? Some fallers. Anyone want to call someone out? Okay. Um, well, Nico Collins just continues to rise and just yep. continues to be a great pick, and he hasn't really yeah. enough, in my opinion. I haven't um, really been taking him recently. I, I took a lot early. I'm still I'm still at nine percent, but I've I've kind of been out with this with this recent rise. Like I'm still I, I get it. I still think Nico Collins should be going like ahead of Portland Sutton and Michael Thomas. So I will I continue think, to draft him until that. that is the case. Do you really like, think he has that kind of stealing? Player. I mean he's a he's got a rookie quarterback and they're gonna be a run first offense. Like I loved it. I loved him when he was we back know in the, gonna be a run first offense. Like we think I think we can feel pretty offense. confident. It's they're coming out, you know, this is a Shanahan style coaching tree here from a former pff analyst yeah but i think just, efficient efficient offense but i don't think they're gonna make stroud carry it for him as a rookie 
I mean, I think, okay, I think they could be low pass rate over expectation, but not like, that's what I mean, you know, Titans Atlanta low. Like, I think they could no, be I, like I agree. a little yeah. bit low. And then they could also lose 12 games. And I think on net, you could wind up with them being like pretty neutral in terms of raw pass rate. And you mm-hmm. also have CJ Stroud, who's probably not going to scramble much. Um, you have the Texans, like this system has always been really low sacks per drop back. Um, and I think it's, pretty likely that they convert a lot of dropbacks into pass attempts. And so if you just look at raw pass attempt rate, like I think even with a low pass it over expectation, factoring in game script, factoring in conversion of dropbacks to pass attempts, I still think they could easily wind up in the top half. Um, and Collins last year, like earned volume at a really high, not, not a really high rate, but a really high rate for where he's going. Like he, he ran a ton of routes and projects run a ton of reps this year. He's the only X wide receiver they have. And he was up over 20% targets per route run with Brandon Cooks. I, I just think he, he, I don't know. I think he projects like quite reasonably. Like I, I even did the projections on him and like I, I have him for 114 targets this year, which is, uh, I, I get it bullish. I actually did knock him. Like I originally had him a little bit higher and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, too much in the bag for Nico. I'm going to nerf him, but I think he comes out really strongly. I, I think the whole Texans offense is underdrafted, I, I guess, but um, yeah. Nico still is my most drafted wide receiver. It used and, to be like 80% when he was going at like 150. So I, I have, cool, yeah, but I took a ton of them when he was going around 150. He, he just felt like a cheat code at one point, but now that he's moved up, I just, I mean, I'm just not taking wide receiver in that range a ton. And he doesn't feel like worth making an exception for to me. Just I guess I'm a little bit more skeptical that he's going to really earn volume at a at a like impressive rate. I think he's he's not nothing, but also like is he is he really something, you know? And when he's he was priced before like he was nothing and like or that we weren't even sure how many routes he was going to run. It's like he's going to run a lot of routes and he's not nothing. So I'm going to draft him a bunch. But now I think you kind of are betting on his talent a little bit and I'm not out on it, but it's just I don't know. I'm kind of going outside of my typical structure to do it. And I just haven't really done it a lot. Part of it is informed by the fact that I have this big overweight position at a better price as well. I mean, do you think he's a worse player than Cortland Sutton? Like, I think he's a better football player than Cortland Sutton. And he's the number one on this team. That feels like a little bit of a reach to me, just given how good Sutton was in his breakout season. Uh, Nico's never flashed like that. Sure. At this point in careers, though. I don't know. Like, Sure, he's well, not as good as 2019 Cortland Sutton, but well, I, I've also sort of defended Sutton a little bit. Last week, I was talking about yeah, he finished 12th in open score last last year, um, right behind Jerry Judy. I think the the narrative that he's kind of like really, really lost a step might be overblown. He could be kind of interesting in this Michael Thomasy X role. Um, I'm not hammering Cortland Sutton, but I just it's easier for me to see Cortland Sutton kind of truly like earning a bunch of targets in like a, a a wide receiver depth chart that I think is maybe more, I do think is more wide open than the market. I'm not as hyped right. on Jerry Judy. So it's wide um, open as Houston, not as wide open as Houston, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I think Sutton right. is in terms of a talent bet. I feel better about, I mean, Collins finished wide receiver 55 in open score. He's more of a downfield guy. Um, he's more of a splash play guy. I think uh, than Sutton is at this point. But 
But if he's the leading know. target earner on a team that plays a little bit more open than you think, Stroud's a little bit better than you think. Like he's a guy in that range who can be like a target dominator on his team. I'm going to defend the talent too. Like Cortland Sutton, we don't have his 2022 data. I know from reception perception yet, but going back to 2021, 21st percentile versus man, 33rd percentile versus press. Diego Collins, 64th percentile versus man and 74th versus press while playing as an X wide receiver. Like those are legitimately strong rates. You look at last year, had 22.4% targets per route run, 1.68 yards per route run, 30.9% air yard share. Like that, like 22-31 range is like pretty in line with like a Mike Williams, for instance. It's not that far off of like a Michael Pittman. Um, like it's frankly not that far off of like a T. Higgins. Now, obviously, you bring in with Higgins, you're like, what if Jamar Chase wasn't there? Whereas Collins running against Brandon Cooks, right. but like. I really don't think that he's actually that much beneath this group. Like, I don't think he's actually that far below like Mike Williams as a talent and 1.68 yards per route run in the context of a Davis offense is like good. Like, I just think he's like a legitimately good receiver with nobody around him. And I see him as like both sides of the sleeper wide receiver bet that we usually make. Usually we're either all in on big guy runs routes, wide open depth chart, or we're all in on, you know, fancy per route stats. Um, I think Nico is both of those guys. I, I just, I don't know. I think that he, I think he has risen, but I think he was so mispriced before. I'm still really, really in on, on this current price. Yeah, that's fair. The last thing I'll add on Nico is I think for a while he was priced for me after a big teardrop at running back. Like after Elijah Mitchell goes, I think there's actually a pretty steep drop off to Jamal, McKinnon, Jalen Warren. Um, I, I do like Kendra, but Kendra is a bit later. You can get him later. So for me, it was like once Herbert, Elijah Mitchell, A-Chain, mm-hmm. Damian Harris, once that group is gone, I felt pretty comfortable clicking Nico and, and not feeling like I was sacrificing like a really good running back pick there. Um, now he is priced like, I think it's going to get tougher when he's priced like closer to Rashad Penny, Khalil Herbert, et cetera. Um, but I, I I, I see Jacob's argument. I think I'll still. Yeah, um, yeah him I there. moved him up a little bit. I get the opportunity cost. My position on Nico is that he is a wide receiver that should be in the wide receiver window, and he's just being drafted outside of it. So, like, I'm like I'm willing to take him instead of those running instead of those running backs because I I just think he's fundamentally misvalued as a talent. Like I I, I tweeted the day BBM opened. I think I was like I would draft Eagle Collins in the eighth round if I had to. And I, I stand by it. I think he should be an eighth round pick. Cool. Uh, moving on to the, to the fallers. Um, Burks here, we already touched on. He's one of the big fallers. Isaiah Pacheco comes out as the biggest faller here. He is that, down. That feels like structural to me. There hasn't been like a blurb yeah. or anything. And McKinnon has not been rising. Like it just well, feels like people... I think he's going to miss the first half of training camp is what is what I'm trying to. It might be because there's two puppies running. That's like probably nuking some of the the running back ADP in this range. And Palms and Pomeranian. And Palms. Yeah. Yeah. But you're uh, you are going to see him drop. um, Maybe not from this, but I, I don't. It hasn't felt to me like the he's going to miss the beginning of training camp stuff's been priced in. There's also this UDFA running back who like made waves in mini camp. Which, oh yeah, buddy! If yeah. you don't have a little bit of round eighteen, round twenty, Prince generic friends, you, you need to you need to live a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think like that's not going to help, you know. Um, and Sam, you were tweeting about you know uh, 
how Pacheco was like kind of overblown in terms of taking over the backfield in terms of the snap share and stuff. So it does feel yeah. like the the market's just going to start to kind of drumbeat. Maybe Pacheco's overvalued here. And if he if he's not on the training camp field to defend himself a little bit, then I could see him slipping. Um, I'm still yeah. overweight him, but it's made me nervous about that. So, yeah, to be clear on my, my tweet, I actually do like Pacheco. I'd have to check where I am, but I, I kind of want to be at market with him. My tweet was more I'm like, actually right at market, yeah. Yeah, pro, pro McKinnon. Yeah, then anti-Pacheco because, wow. I don't know, the Pacheco. So, on the playoff stuff, there is a narrative that Pacheco overtook McKinnon in the playoffs. It's not really true, but it's kind of true. Uh, McKinnon actually outsnapped uh, Pacheco in two of those three playoff games. Pacheco did convert his snaps to touches at a much higher rate yeah. than McKinnon did. So I get where the narrative is coming from. He was used a little bit in the passing game, got, got a lot more carries than McKinnon. But, man, I'm still skeptical that they just don't want to do Jarek McKinnon stuff with Jarek McKinnon for the third year in a row. Like, I think his role is is pretty solid and locked in. And at The cost, thing is, eventually, Jarek McKinnon is going to be able to stop doing Jarek McKinnon things, and we don't know when that cliff is going to come. But if yeah. that cliff comes this year, what what do they do? What's their plan? How, how, how related are Jarek McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco to each other? I don't think very. Yeah, but there those roles can exist in isolation. The question mark would be is how much is Clyde going to play? And is Clyde right. going to play at all? Like I think that's why Jarek hasn't risen. Because I think if, if Pacheco – I think anything that comes out of Pacheco goes to Clyde or to unsigned running back. I, I just think, and yeah. I think maybe, if, and I think that if Jarek fails – that also either goes to Clyde or unsigned running back. But like, I don't think that Pacheco is going to do the McKinnon stuff. I don't think McKinnon is going to do the Pacheco stuff. One reason Pacheco... I'm kind of into McKinnon or into Pacheco is that I think he can do more of the McKinnon stuff than he did last year because he's a second year okay. player and he's not a total zero as a receiver. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, they are kind of distinct. At all? How did he uh, that, that's the thing you'd have to, I think, you know, one of the reasons that we sometimes see a pretty big jump in um, receiving involvement from second year backs is I think they, they kind of either get the pass protecting together or they don't. And he was not a good pass protector last year. So that's your, that's your thing with Pacheco. Does he, is a second year player? Does he have a mastery of the playbook and get the, I mean, he's got plenty of time to study right now, right? He's, he's not gonna be able yeah. to practice. So, come on. For what if for the only him. running back I've been drafting on the chiefs above, above market is, is Clyde, which is, uh, also feels gross to advertise in public, but hey, if you martingale, the only way to not win a martingale is to run out of funds, right? <laughs> so, so actually, you just got to keep you got to keep betting, or then you go to zero. <laughs> Are you gonna do like the pickaxe like meme, but for Clyde? <laughs> oh, I should. That's a good tweet. I'm gonna file that one away. I'm gonna it would be amazing away. if Clyde had like a five year NFL career in which he lost everyone money in every single year. In every single year. <laughs> I never, mean he never what got if, back even. what if Windhorse pointing me, what if what if Clyde, you know, has just been uh training with McKinnon and learning how to play like him and Clyde it actually is just because people people forget McKinnon has had this crazy career where he's been like a backup to to, to fucking Adrian Peterson. Then he was the they he signed yeah. a big contract with the 49ers and suffered a horrible injury in the preseason. Like he thought his career was over, came back and played like he was a college quarterback. What a bizarre career Jarek McKinnon has had with a Super Bowl ring to show for it. I'm happy for him. Although I would have won a gigantic like 115 to one same game parlay had he not kneeled at the one yard line mm. in the Super Bowl. So I'm I happy had... for him. No break, but if he just would have, 
<laughs> but if he just but if he just would have slipped into the end zone, I would have been happier for him happier. for sure. Uh, I will start taking Pacheco. By the way, the zero percent is about to change now that we're. Well, I don't know. At this point, I might, I might see. At this point, your portfolio camp... might be better off taking Prince. Honestly. Yeah, because I, I think he's gonna slide. Really have the same exposure to both, so. He's gonna slide. <laughs> he's gonna slide more <laughs> once he's not on the field, right? Well, that's. I guess my only take is he's getting to the point where. He's now falling. Like I was never willing to take Pacheco over like within the wide receiver window, but now he's like kind of close to being outside of it. So yeah. if we're getting Pacheco yeah. in the Charbonnet Dylan zone, then give me Pacheco. Like at that point, close well, my That's eye. where I've been able to get him. I mean, I'm back to the Chiefs. I'm even with the field, but I would I'm I'm pretty sure it's at a very good price because um he does he's one of those guys. There's certain players who are very tight in their ADP ranges and certain players who will have big slides. And mm-hmm. he's one of the guys where I'm like, oh, man, Pacheco's here, um, you know, 10 picks after ADP or something. Whereas like Rashad White, it, they go pretty close to each other. But I feel like White doesn't tend to slide like that. So, um, yeah. Do you take Pacheco or Connor? I would take Pacheco. Okay. So I, I, I've Pacheco. been sexlessly selecting James Connor. I take I take Pacheco just because I if can you imagine the feeling I would have if a Chiefs running back duplicated that Kareem Hunt run from the first eleven games before he kicked that woman in the hallway and I didn't like I, I've drafted every other Chiefs running back ahead of market every last one of them and I missed out on the guy who crushes it like I right. I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror and sometimes that's pretty important. I guess part, part of the Pacheco thing too for me is I just wasn't taking him initially and then he started falling and my attitude has just been like, let's just see how much he keeps falling. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like I, I'll, I'd like to mix him in at some point, but he's, he hasn't ever stabilized. So I just haven't felt the need to like get my exposure in. Like I just kind of want to see where the bottom is, I guess. And if he's not out for training camp, then you're, you're right that he probably goes down even more. Right. But Pacheco does offer them something. That I mean, unless this guy Daenerys Prince is real, but the odds that like they hit on you know a seventh rounder and then a UDFA like in a yeah. huge way in back to back years are are pretty low. Obviously, that's really not how odds work. They, but the odds that Prince is anything as a UDFA are mm-hmm. low. So I'm, I don't know. But if he, unless he is something, then Pacheco is the only one who really offers them early down, uh, you know. The ability to just like unless hit the right hole, unless they sign Leonard Fournette. Well, sure, but he That's was he was good last too. year. He had a forty three percent success rate per NFL Next Gen, which is good. He had one hundred seventy three rush yards over expected, which is very good. Like he was a good rusher. You have the potential that he mixes in a little bit more as a receiver, and a, I think a pretty significant lack of competition is a traditional classic running back like Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Like he stinks. We know that this this year he like. He's not even trying to pretend he weighed 110 pounds last year anymore. Like he's given up. He's admitting he's bad. <laughs> you know, McKinnon is is not an early down guy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay, you guys are talking me into it a little bit, but I I'm also not upset about the fade to this point because I feel like I feel like I avoided some negative. CLP, I mean, how how hard gonna, are you going to be? It. I'm going to start filling it up now. Well, how hard are you going to be pumping former Chief Juju Smith Schuster now that DeAndre Hopkins is not signing mm-hmm. with the Titans? Uh, it deeply pains me that I will have to draft him, but I, yeah, I'm going to draft him a little bit. 
I still don't think I'm clicking. I'd rather guess, I'd rather end I'd rather get my Patriots exposure via taking Mike Kosicki in round 17 and Mac Jones in round 18. That that to me is the perfect. Mike Kosicki. I thought you were on Hunter Henry. It's the same thing. Who cares? Like, either I, can Bill Belichick? Do you not watch the most recent episode of Ship Chafing, David? There's I, I don't think it's the same thing. I've I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I've gone nuts trying Stone to prove Charlie. it's not the same thing. I you, literally you, I literally started uh, looking at specific plays that PFF charted. You're 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 a Henry guy. I'm a Henry guy. I also am not like smashing Henry, but I just think I don't. I like literally think like the whole like slot receiver thing, they're not playing in 12 personnel as their base formation in new England. Cause no one does that. Like the chiefs were at something in the thirties last year as 12 is there. They were the highest in the league. I think in 12, they're still only about the 30% range. And then you have the fact that they have Juju is their most likely probably the top target guy, unless he, I mean, I don't know. He's so bad. So who knows, but I mean, he's, he literally is still dealing with a knee injury from October of 2022. So yeah, I, but I he's he's playing sure. traditional slot for them. Like, there's no way you have Juju out there. It's Juju, Devontae Parker, and Tyquan Thornton as your base set, right? And then that leaves you one position open for a tight end, not two. Yeah, Must Tyquan I, Thornton be in their base set? Like, he was a horrible prospect with a horrible rookie year. Like, why is certainly he, provides why you some he speed. Anything? Like, I mean, right, but can he provide you speed as like a forty percent route rate rotational player? So you're, but it's Juju going to play on the outside for? I mean, Juju. I mean, not, I think Juju played on the outside in two possible. wide receiver sets with K- Kansas City with KC, and he's been. Well, eating. I'm actually saying I'm I'm saying like I think it's possible that like Thornton and Bourne rotate in equally. Yeah, Bourne. I mean, he hates possible. Bourne's guts. That he's been in the doghouse for like two years. He's still in the roster. He still has the spike weeks. Listen, I mean, if Bourne he's, was he's out efficient. there, he's their most efficient receiver. Yeah, he actually, but like, isn't Bourne more of a slot too? He's like, yeah. I think, kind of like a gadgety player more than yeah. anything. Like, I think he's more like kind of slot, but I think he's a guy you move around and put in motion. Like, to me, they just have kind of guys. Like, I guess Parker's going to play the X and be bad at it, and Juju's right. going to play one of the other positions and be bad at it, and then Bourne might play a little, and Thornton will, I don't know, be bad at something. For a certain amount of plays, and... Just, you got to open your third eye to Devonte Parker being <laughs> the best way to play this by far. But he's but he's not good. Like I, I get that he's yeah. He's Juju and Parker good. are like the same thing. It's like okay, they're probably going to score more points than where they're being drafted, and that's fine. But I don't know. I am I going to be ever going to be excited? Like I'm just picturing. I'm trying to fast forward to the future. I'm picturing myself. In week 17, and I'm opening up, and I'm like, oh, man, I advanced the best ball mania team to the finals. And then I see a Patriots wide receiver on it. Don't I just feel like I have 17 players now? Pat I won. Mean, Pat, 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 Pat literally just won just last down year. The tournament. With two of them. All I'm saying is – just <laughs> They both hit my the, lineup. Yeah, they both hit your lineup. I mean, Devontae Parker played, like, I think 10 games last year and had, like, a 20-point week and a 22-point week in half EPR. Like, and that was on, like, this – Patriots offense that everyone like universally calls this like absolute clown show offense, like absolute disaster. And Devontae Parker had two big spike weeks and like 10 games played. So they just paid him money to play the same role. Like I get that you're not guaranteed to get those. Like, obviously I don't think that's how it works, but in the 18th round, you can't find many guys who are like locked into two wide receiver sets. Like Devontae you also Parker aren't going to find Parker in the 18th round. For very much longer. Yeah, he's like he's like he's like a sixteenth yeah. round pick now. Yeah, he's gonna yeah. move so, on up. He'll be in the Van Jefferson. Is he though? Isn't he still like 
he's like 195 right now. He like he the Hopkins a, risk is over now, right? Like Hopkins, Juju, yeah, yeah, he's gonna he's Parker gonna are probably up. both moving up because it's like I'm at 179 now. Um, which is you you're know, you're like I'm not even gonna contest you, but Parker, like you are correct. I just don't like it. Yeah, that's fair. Like I understand. I you're think right. I think the, the tight ends. You're right. It annoys me. The tight ends are the way to life. play it, just because I feel that tight ends will be so involved. I, I like the tight ends, just because Kasicki. Yeah. I agree with Pat that Kasicki's base role is pretty bad, and I prefer Hunter. What's his route room? What's Kasicki's route? Yeah, route no, it's it's yeah. It's like have, it's like Dalton Kincaid like, who goes fifty picks early. I have Kasicki projected at a forty-five percent route rate, and Hunter Henry. That is horrendous. Yeah, but forty-five percent is a fucking disaster. Well, I'm not but making how the many, case for him. Yeah. I'm making the case for him. No, I know. I'm, but I'm saying I'm using your numbers to make, to make my point, which is that Gasicki's not a great yeah. pick. But Pat, how many how many tight ends have outs to like playing slot wide receiver and outside wide receiver if the wide receivers in the depth chart get injured? Like not that many. And Gasicki is one of them. Okay, fine. Although he okay, the, here's one issue with Gasicki, and you know, maybe you don't care about this, but he's not good. And he's never been. Good. No, I've already. I just touted Devonte Parker. I, don't, I clearly don't care about that. So I, I mean, the, the argument for and against every Patriots wide receiver and tight end is that they're all bad. Like that, the <laughs> argument for any one of them is that the rest of them suck. But the right. argument against that one is that they suck. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, he's had his career yards per hour is one point two six. He's never really earned targets. It, you know, it's all just been like, hey, he does this. You know, he he plays out wide a little bit. He plays in the slot a lot. Like. You know, he's not used like a traditional tight end. It's true, but like, I don't, it's not like they have a glaring need for outside wide receiver snaps. In fact, as I just mentioned, Kendrick Bourne is kind of floating around. It's sure. maybe their most talented wide receiver, and he's like wide receiver four on the depth chart. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see the path to Gasicki running a ton of routes being all that clean. And his base rate in terms of how many routes we expect him to run is, is yeah, he's probably like a, like a halftime player. Um, why am I dra- drafting like Noah Fant, you know, instead of Mike Kosicki? You know, if I'm if I'm into 55% route rates, why wouldn't I draft Noah Fant? I agree. It's weird that Kosicki gets drafted in every draft at like pick 190. I'm just saying like as you're la- like sometimes he's hanging around the last round and I'm like, sure, whatever, sure. But I, I'm it's with just, you, Pat. It's gonna always just take Hunter Henry. Yeah, yeah I take Hunter Henry because I'm like, that's Hunter a 65% and, route rate. I'm getting the 10% pass that I like want to click. This the yeah. whole thing just bums me out. I just wanted Hopkins to go here because Hopkins could have just walked in and taken a twenty nine percent target share without any issue, and it, that would have been a, a much more fun. So some, without hurting anyone's fun. I I've heard this isn't direct, but I've heard through the grapevine that Crack Rock said the Patriots are legitimately interested in Dalvin Cook. So take it for what it's worth. Man is breaking news oh, left and right. God. They're I mean, also he also the Jets are legitimately interested as well. So. I think that the Patriots taking Cook is probably best case scenario for me personally because a I have like one percent Dalvin Cook, so I don't want him to go to Miami because then I'd have to eat mm-hmm. some negative CLV on Cook. Mm-hmm. And while I am overmarket on Ramondre, I am much less overmarket on Ramondre than I am Brees Hall and Dolphins running backs. So of the three, I'll take this one. Yeah, I, I would take the Patriots one too. Just just keep Brees yeah. alive. That's that's all I care about. Yeah. This one. <laughs> I mean, he's not dead if Dalvin goes there. He's not dead, he, but it certainly the thing hurts. People me. forget about Dalvin Cook is he'll that he be, sucks. He'll probably go after Mixon if, if Dalvin goes there. You know, I almost that. want that so bad that I would sacrifice my existing twenty percent for my future sixty percent. <laughs> future sixty percent would be a little light, Jacob. Come on, get on board. <laughs> I mean, how how much 
What for if Dalvin Cook goes to the Jets and Brees Hall goes at like late fourth or in the fifth, what would your exposure be on your remaining drafts? Because I can't imagine my. I would say probably like honestly, it might be like sixty six percent. I might I do like a two thirds. If yeah. he signs where? The Jets. If like if we Cook get if we get round Jets. five Brees Hall because Cook is a Jet. Yeah. Oh, I'd be. I, I don't like. Him? I don't like Brees Hall. But if 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 Brees drops because some dusty vet signs with them, I'm gonna be clicking that button so, so fast, so hard. I would bet my entire season on him without any hesitation at that point. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Hmm. So we're well, actually rooting for this at this point. I, know, I yeah. think we are. Yeah, maybe. I we also are. want to dunk on people on Twitter. So like that makes me kind of want to root for it because I, I just I mean, that's, feel like that's it would be buddy, like that's fun why we, negative that's engagement. That's why we play the game. That's why we. That's play that's the, the only reason uh, Twitter hasn't fully <laughs> <laughs> dissolved into nothing is that we're all just still trying to get our dunks in. <laughs> Anyways, I I unfortunately I gotta go, guys. Huh. Um, so the people that wanted a two and a half hour show, um, sadly aren't gonna get it. But uh, this was this is good stuff. Um, I I actually have a hard out, so I don't know if. If I leave the broadcast, is that just going to end things? I, 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 let's, uh, let's, let's get let's on. We got yeah, to pick our guy, right? Isn't that the thing? Yeah. You Okay. Jacob, you get one. No one else gets one this week because I got to leave. Okay. Jacob, who's your favorite uh, Really quick. It's on, the, it's, on the, it's on the theme of ACL running backs. Um, I put out the tweet last week to try and do some insider trading. It still has not worked. Uh, I don't understand why every piece of news about Javante Williams has been positive and yet his ADP is still two rounds lower than when uh, the big board opened. So I think one. as we continue to get positive news on Javante Williams, which it seems all news is positive, once we see him at training camp, we get videos. I think that he's going to be a guy that rises in ADP. Um, he also goes in a really bad range of the draft right now. Especially if he gets like passed up by Camara, that's a guy that I really want to take a lot of exposure to. I think he could easily end up in round six, round seven, if we get all systems go on him for week one. Beautiful. I like that. I've been clicking them more and more. Um, so for all of us, you guys know where to find Davis uh, and Pat. Uh, let, me, uh, and- let me just say this group tomorrow uh, live on nice. YouTube. Oh, yeah. We'll be back. Be, we're going to be drafting. I'm doing a seven-hour uh, draft marathon tomorrow in honor of, of 718, which is when I drafted my winning best ball mania team and also, also when uh, King Cap drafted his regular season winning team, crazily right. enough. So going to be doing uh, seven hours of streaming over there. And this, this group is going to be one of those drafts. So check that out. Love it. Looking forward to it. We'll be taking Mike Atheki. I will have. (laughs)